You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since rookie mistake you may have heard another piece of music playing because i had a web browser open during the intro there sorry <laughs> man been a long time since i made a boo-boo like that we're oh. two fucking green horns <laughs> yeah. yeah two mango horns to keep it <laughs> yeah there. yeah uh okay pink horns welcome back we have had some well i've had definitely had some considerable time off but we've both been Away and very busy. Uh, so welcome back to the GGTMC. We are good to go this week. We're going to bring you coverage of what we was going to do is two olive films, but now we're going to do four olive films to kind of give you some, uh, some just, you know, we, we watched them, so why not cover them, right? So we're going to go ahead and knock those out on this show. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that shortly. I'll tell you what we're going to cover here. Um, we're covering Teachers, which I think is from 1984. I'm doing all these off memory here, okay? So <laughs> I want to say Teachers was um, older than that. Like I wanted to say one eighty one and eighty two. I think it's eighty four. Oh, eighty four. You're right. Eighty four. Yeah. Good call. Yeah, I think it's eighty four. Quiet Gun fifty seven. I got my book open now. Now I'm cheating. Nice. Uh, Coolie High from seventy five, and The Running Man from nineteen eighty seven. A glorious year. <laughs> yes, indeed. We'll even uh, be closing the show with a little John Pyre and Harold Faltemeyer. <laughs> <laughs> Restless heart. Nice. All right. Hmm. So uh, let's get into what we've been watching. Um, we're kind of recording two shows this week, so I'm gonna only do. I'm um, just uh, you know, we'll peek behind the curtain. I'm not gonna do everything. I watched this first one here, so. But I'll defer to you. Let's get into it. I'll also save some for the sequel. Yeah. Uh, let's see. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny because James, when we recorded last. I didn't get to talk about a few things that um, that I'd watched, and uh, of course, I'm going to ramble from it because I, it's been yep. three weeks, yeah. and I can't remember some of the shit I watched. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. You guys lost that recording. Uh, oh, what a fucking heartbreak, man, because <laughs> there was some good conversation there. Luckily, we were able to save uh, 
Save the main review. Um, I did. I talk. I did talk about uh, snab a cash with you, right? Uh, yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did. Okay, and then we have Beaver Trilogy, Music Machine, uh, on the way to school. I watched, talked about that as well with you. We are still here. I talked about with you. Ex Machina. I talked about with you. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think you did. Yeah, I, I, I remember talking about Alex Garland. Yeah, yeah, which I loved. Uh, I think yeah, because the okay, there we are. Never mind. Here we are. Okay. So, uh, F is for fake. I watched. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we haven't talked about that. Yeah, no, we haven't. Um, and uh, it's tremendous. It's it's definitely going to be in my top five, top three probably favorite first time watches. Nice. I really love Orson Welles. I think he's unbelievably sort of charismatic, uh, imminently watchable. And um, when he was he's, alive, he's, he's, he's always a really, hungry. Uh, What's that? I said when he was alive, he was always hungry. Yeah, man. He uh, he's the kind of guy. He's what is he a raconteur? I mean, he's just he's charming. He's a storyteller. Um, I think in the movie he calls himself a charlatan. He does. He does. <laughs> and the thing I love about it is it's so ahead of its time. I mean, it, it's kind of like um, there's so many different layers to what that film is. It's a documentary about fakes, essentially, but. Uh, it kind of feels like you know inspiration for Exit Through the Gift Shop and some other things. It's a it's a fascinating fascinating documentary. Criterion's got it out, and I'm going to be buying that Criterion on the next uh, sale. Nice, nice. Um, let me see here. Okay, so I, I'm going to split these up fitty fitty here. Uh, All right. <laughs> between the two shows, so one, two, three, You're four. Fitty fitty five, with six. the snob of cash there, bay. The snob of cash there, bay. <laughs> oh, two more. Okay, two more. Uh, the nightmare, which you know, it's been making oh, yeah. the rounds. People in our community have been watching it. We can, I can talk about that a little bit too. I watched that as well. Yeah, and that's what kind of inspired me. You and some other people watched it, and I heard you know the people, the marketing people for this deserve a fucking raise because they had everyone believing it was just going to be this exercise in terror. Yeah. Um, it's a documentary for those that don't know about people that suffer from sleep paralysis, and they have some kind of disturbing. Uh, I don't know. Visions is the right word. Just their their dreams. You know, the the line between dream and reality kind of gets blurred a little bit for them. They're very vivid, and um, I yeah, I think this is a major step backwards from um, from Room Two Three Seven, which you and I are both big fans of. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot more meat on that bone. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot more discussion to be had. This just felt like he had some great ideas and some practical effects, and found a way to kind of shoehorn things in. Um, <laughs> he had a friend that had a black stocking suit. He had a, yeah, that's right, man. <laughs> that's right. And, you know, I, I felt like the people in this, you and I spoke about this, and it's a fine line, you know, between sounding insensitive and not. But I felt like with Room 237, there was some legit, there's some great discussion about, you know, obsession and, and intellectual people that had sort of been obsessed with this art and how they interpret it. But, it felt like some of these people needed to kind of move past what they were going through a little bit. And yeah, yeah. they just felt a bit frazzled and, and frayed at the seams. And, yeah. it, you know, when you're um, when your subject doesn't always have credibility, um, it, it becomes a slippery slope. So it was OK, but a major step backwards for me from room 237. Yeah, I'm with you. It was OK. I'd probably give it like a six to six point five, maybe at the highest. I'm in the five point five range. Oh, yeah, okay. it's okay. It's, it's not. I didn't hate it, but yeah, yeah. No, you know, I'm in the same boat as you. I, I think two nightmares are such a tricky thing. And this one, I thought what was going to happen was I was going to see 
a bunch of different interpreted nightmares. But what it really kind of did was it kind of really kind of all stuck to the same kind of nightmare. It did. And I was wanting the same thing. You did a little bit of diversity. And it's always that thing, right? When you explain um, uh, your, your um, blanking out here, multitasking isn't my strong suit sometimes. When you're talking about your nightmares to people, you always kind of preface it by saying it doesn't sound as scary as it was. You know, when you're immersed in it, it's yes. it's terrifying, right? Yes. But, you know, I don't think they, they did enough justice by giving it um, some diversity. In that yeah. Regard. And I, and I do think some of the reenactments uh, worked, but some most of them didn't, and that's some didn't. And it became too wash, rinse, repeat, right? I mean, when you yeah. show your boogeyman that often in his black stocking suit, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, it gets to be a bit. It, it demystifies it for yeah. you. I started to get tired of seeing that guy. I did too, up. man. <laughs> I kept thinking, man, get out of here. At least get a different stocking suit. Do something. That's right. Do something, man. <laughs> Switch it up. That's right. No, but I mean, I understand why some people might find it terrible. I think if you've had that nightmare, or if that is your primary nightmare, maybe your primary nightmare that you remember, uh, maybe it might be more effective. But I think for me, my nightmares really have nothing to do with that. So uh, I've never been scared of, uh, you know, shadows on the wall when I'm going to sleep. It's just not my thing. But I'm not, you know, certainly not saying that that isn't scary. For some folks, that might be absolutely, absolutely terrifying. Absolutely, yeah, especially in the moment, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, and I've had a little bit of sleep paralysis in my life. It's a bizarre experience, to say the least. Not nightmare-inducing so much, but I've I've been in between sleep and and consciousness and screamed before. I told you, I think I told you this on the phone. Scared the shit out of my wife one time, and oh yeah, it was pretty freaky. But um, I don't even remember what I was dreaming about. I think I may have been falling or something. Which is uh, perpetually like the one, <laughs> the one thing that uh, happens to me almost every time I fall asleep. For some strange reason, in my sleep, I cannot walk on anything. I'm always falling on shit. So nice. Hmm. Yeah, it's you know okay. It is what it is. Uh, next up, I finished one on. It was on. I rented it from the library. I just I never got you know. The, it's so funny now to look at this, but I had it for a week. I didn't watch it, and I was like, "Fuck! I got to return this thing, man. I can't be paying late fees at the library." So I returned it, and then it turned up it was on instant. Um, it's called Liverpool, and it's not uh, anything to do with the football club or Liverpool itself. It's an Argentinian film. Hmm. Um, I guess it's part of the Lonely Man trilogy, which uh, Lisandro Alonso has done. It's, a, it's an interesting film. Uh, it's minimal. It's a bit slow. It's about a, a man who... He's been basically a, like a ship hand his whole life, and he comes home to see his. Uh, he's been he's been kind of away from his family for years, and uh, you get the sense it didn't maybe go very well when he he'd gone to sea, and he comes back to see his, his ill mother, and it's it's minimal, it's spare, um, it's not a very it's not uh, an intrusive film at all. I quite liked it, but I think it's something you definitely have to be in the mood for because of it how quiet and still it is. But it's it was good, and I, I you know I like seeing uh, you know kind of blue collar fringe stuff from around the world, whether it's Belgium, you know, people that kind of uh, are just kind of quite uh, you know outside looking in a little bit, and just to see sometimes people's man's inability to um, reconcile his emotions or his words into emotion or his emotion into words, I guess. Yeah. It's good, you know, not a masterpiece or anything, but interesting enough that I would definitely want to seek out the rest of this trilogy and other stuff by uh, Lissandro Alonso. Sounds interesting to me. Sounds yeah. like it might be up my alley a little bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Is that everything then? 
that's it. I, I got three more, but I'm going to save them for the next. Uh, sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. I watched a few. I don't think I talked about. Uh, let me let me see if I did talk about this. Love and Terror on the Howling Plains of Nowhere. Did I talk about that? Uh, it's hard to say. You and I spoke. You know, the lines are being blurred here. I don't recall that you did on air, though. Yeah, I don't know if I did or not. Anyway, it's a documentary about uh, a math teacher that moves to the small town in uh, Nebraska, or maybe it's. Yeah, I think it's Nebraska. Maybe it's Wyoming. I don't know. It's. Anyway. Real small town. He gets a job at the college there. They have this massive wildfire. He's disappeared a few weeks before, and they find his body in the woods all tied up to a tree, like a bondage thing, and nobody really knows what happened. So, uh, Sorry, did you say he was dead? Yeah, he's dead. Um, is this a true story? Was this a documentary? Was yeah, it? yeah, yeah. No, it's a true story. Oh, wow. It's pretty bizarre. It's really bizarre. And there just happens to be this writer that lives there. And he kind of gets into the story of it because it's his major mystery, you know, because nobody knows how he ended up in this at this tree tied up in what almost looks like potentially like sexual bondage. Uh, and, of course, a wildfire comes through and burns a bunch of foliage and then they find the body. Right. So wow. pretty bizarre story and pretty strange stuff. But uh, interesting. Uh, definitely worth a watch. It's on uh, Hulu Plus or I think they just call it Hulu now. But anyway, it's on there. I think it's on Amazon Prime for those who've got it, and uh, I'm sure it's available in other <laughs> ways, shapes, and forms anyway. But yeah, long title, Love and Terror on the Howling Plains of Nowhere. I'm going to look that one up. I've heard the title before, but... Uh, yeah, it's pretty good. That pretty sounds good. fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, watched, uh, again, watched a lot of documentaries because I've been really busy. So those are easiest to watch. Uh, An Honest Liar, this is the the Amazing Randy documentary. Uh, Katzen? No, not that Randy, but he is amazing. <laughs> He's more amazing yes. uh, than this Randy, but uh, and a magician in a lot of ways, I should say. Yes. This is about Randy. I can't remember his real last name, but if you guys know who the amazing Randy is, he's kind of a guy who started out as a magician, uh, escape artist, stuff like that, and then kind of became this guy who kind of debunked a lot of things like uh, your your healers and all this kind of stuff. And he kind oh, of became yeah. this guy, you know, who kind of one of the first guys who started kind of debunking magic more than uh, and and not in a bad way, but just kind of showing you. The, you know, kind of like bolts. yeah, kind of like Penn and Teller do. You know, they kind of like he was a major influence on them and a few other folks. And really, what his main thing was was just to catch people who were stealing, you know, were taking money from people that he felt were taking. Yeah, he felt you know people who were swindlers basically, and that was yeah. his main thing. So, uh, but it also gets into his personal life quite a bit. He didn't come out of the closet until he was almost. Uh, I think he was in his eighties. Oh wow, that's so, a long time. In yeah, there, and he's still alive, man. He's 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 up there, man. Um, so, and then it gets kind of into a relationship he's in and some stuff like that. And, uh, didn't really expect that. So I kind of came out of nowhere. It's really good. I don't think it's going to make a top 30 list of mine, but he is a fascinating individual. Um, born in Toronto, it should be said. Yes. Yes. He's from Canada. Nice. One of those gentlemen. And I did a rewatch of Jodorowsky's Dune. Still awesome. Oh, yeah. uh, and did a, uh, watch of a film called Red Army, which you watched a few weeks back. Three oh, or four yes. weeks ago. So uh, good. Really good, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. There's a you haven't seen the thirty for thirty yet, have you? Uh, I don't think I. Uh, I think it's called. Oh wait, yes, I did. I did. I did yeah. because that one focuses more on Slava and his his foxy twenty something daughter going back to Lake Placid, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're in the dressing room. Yeah. He's like, oh. he's like, you sat to where I sat, and they're both really good. I, I yeah. kind of wish that they would have somehow. I mean, it's one of these things where you have competing projects. Yeah. Uh, the one of Miracles and Men, I think that one deals more with just the Olympics, the eighty Olympics, with the and that, the psychological and emotional impact yeah, yeah. on that team. Yeah, this deals a little bit more with everything involving that team, including up to 
Uh, this one deals more with the pro stuff. Like there was a little bit of that in Miracles of Men, but this one deals a lot more with the pro stuff toward the back end, and um, it, it's good. It's really good. I mean, I'm not going to deny it. It's it's fantastic. I liked it quite a bit. I don't know if it'll make my top thirty or not, but it's certainly be in the running. Yeah, I would I would agree with that statement. And uh, I'll just do one more. I watched Soaked in Bleach. This is the documentary about Kurt Cobain that Courtney Love does not want you to see, supposedly. So she's trying to get this thing, uh, trying to get an injunction on this thing to get it gone. But so, it's already out there, right? It's out there. So I mean, yeah, good luck but with that. I don't know. Yeah, well, yeah, well, now, yeah. Once it's out there nowadays, good luck with that. But yeah. but uh, if, if you want to actually rent it uh, legally or get a hold of it legally, uh, you know, you might want to get a hold of it now because uh, it might get that injunction might get passed because this one is pretty flammatory toward Courtney Love. And pretty fucking bizarre. This one is uh, mostly told from the point of view of the private investigator that Courtney Love hired to look into where her husband was at the time all the stuff was going down. Oh, didn't that was such a seedy turn of events? Didn't there wasn't there some guy Il Duce that killed himself or something? Or? Yeah, yeah, that was in that was in the other one, Kurt and Courtney, which was yeah. a uh, Nick Broomfield uh, documentary, which is also kind of seedy. But this one goes into further detail than that one. Man. I got to tell you, I don't know what to believe uh, because, you know, the truth of the matter is at the end of the day, Kurt Cobain is dead, blah, blah, blah. There's not really a lot more you can say about it. it it's not like the Elvis thing where, you know, he's still alive and he's eating cheeseburgers in Alabama, <laughs> yeah. you yeah, know, something right. like that. But this one presents a, a very fascinating case. That's what I'll say. And I'll say it's definitely worth a watch. If it's true or not, it does not matter because it is fucking entertaining. Is all get out. I mean, it's like a really seedy, mystery, nasty. It's just fucking bizarre. Some of the stuff that goes on, you're sitting there going, "Wait a minute!" And then some which of the ones? Stuff, which one's better out of the two? This one. Well, I know uh, Emily, a good friend Emily, that's uh, married to Brian. You know our good friend Emily. Uh, she yes. uh, she likes this one more. I like them both equally, but for different reasons. I think Montage of Heck kind of gives you a. A, a sample of Kurt's life and what his life was like and maybe what he was going through. This one kind of gives you more of what people think may have happened in the last four or five days of his life. Okay. So, you know, take that how you want to. But I think both of them are worth watching. I like Montage of Heck quite a bit. I think it'd probably make my top 30. It's one of the best documentaries I've seen. But I'll say this. Soaked and Bleach is in the running for my top 30 so far this year because it's so fucking out there that I think it's... And so, I mean, I was just... I was thoroughly entertained, so definitely check, look into it if you guys get a chance. It is worth a watch. All right. That's all I got. I got, you know, five more, but we'll talk about those on the flip side, yo. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a break, come back and talk a couple movies, and then we'll take a break and talk a couple more movies. So two double deuces in a row. Which two do you want to talk about first? The two we were going to talk about first anyway? The Running Man and uh, Teachers? Was that it? Uh, sure. Whatever you think. It, this was your baby. This was your olive baby. So Yeah, this was, <laughs> this was my olive baby. I had it, I had it pit and all. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> all right, we'll be back and talk uh, either Teachers or The Running Man. We'll be back right after this. Hey, this is Scott of Married with Clickers. Tune in to hear my wife Kat and me discuss all sorts of movies. We'll cover everything from The Lost Weekend to Weekend at Bernie's. From The Big Sleep to Big Mama's House. Well, maybe not Big Mama's House. And the great thing about Kat is that she's not afraid to speak her mind. And would you be surprised to hear he was nominated for Best Actor that year? For that film? For that film. Oh. 
<laughs> but don't take my word for it. Just listen to what the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema has to say about our show. Well, it's a husband and wife show, and they discuss movies and stuff. Yeah, a very wife-husband show. High praise indeed. So come find us at marriedwithclickers.libson.com. It will save your life. Or maybe just help you kill an hour. Seeker for you Fuck there. Yeah, man. It's a good song, man. It's an underrated Seeker song. A lot of people don't know that one as well. Yeah, Seeker's tremendous. I mean, he's one of those guys I think gets kind of overlooked or scoffed at by kind of music elitists. But he's a great songwriter, man. And a lot of his stuff in the seventies is fantastic. Yeah. People just kind of look at the few big songs he had and and scoff. It's a bummer. Speaking of Seeker, man, I was on Spotify. I wanted to listen to some Seeker on the way into work, man. Some Fire Lake and Roll Me Away and stuff and Spot, what's up, man? He's got to get on Spotify. Like he's got like one live album on there. Yeah, some of these some of these artists don't want to be on there so, uh, nowadays. I don't know if he's one of them. I don't know what his. I don't know what the thing is, but it's like motherfucker. Uh, if Prince is on there, <laughs> yeah. you can be on there. And then yeah. I went down the rabbit hole. It's like Pink Floyd, The Beatles, and Zeppelin aren't on there. And you know, I can listen to them other ways. And yeah, yeah, don't yeah. sit around listening to Floyd too much. Uh, anymore that was more uh, in high school <laughs> you know but. i still i still do occasionally I mean, long yeah, drives or good. something i'll throw one of the uh the floyd records on cruising you know so instead i'll listen to boards of canada man and just fucking zone out yeah most of the time nowadays i'm you know playing juicy wiggle you know something like that so <laughs> Ooh, this way a different kind of juicy wiggle back in the day man. have you heard that have you heard juicy wiggle I haven't. That's I that fucking. Uh, that's that guy I that did the. Uh, Juicy yeah, the uh, the guy that the guy that was with the LMFAO, the his Barry Gordy son, Red Foo. Oh man, I don't like those guys at all. <laughs> I know. I hate those guys this, so much. <laughs> this song, this song is him by himself, and it's a bizarre song. And I came across it one day on the radio, and <laughs> it's good. It's they they make infectious music. Oh, this song's infectious, but it's it's ridiculous as well. So. There you go. Let's just get. Let's just put that out there. It's not as good as Bob Seger's understanding. There we go. There you go, man. <laughs> it doesn't have that lasting quality. And I'm sure when somebody goes back and listens to it, they won't sit around and go. Seems like only yesterday, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see if I'll, I'll see if I can cue up a little bit of that a little bit while yeah, we're doing yeah, yeah, Get on All my right. desk here. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is Teachers uh, from 1984, directed by Arthur Hiller. Uh, plot synopsis, a well-meaning but burned-out high school teacher tries to maintain order against the backdrop of a pending lawsuit against the school district. When it comes to light, they gave a diploma to an illiterate student. That is a thorough and pretty good synopsis, to be honest with you. <laughs> it really doesn't give anything away and kind of tells you exactly what the setup is. 
Um, you had never seen this. I'd seen this several times. I'm going to go ahead and let you, if you don't mind, uh, don't mind unless you want me to lead on it. I'll no. Okay. Go I'm ahead. happy. I'm happy to lead on this one. Yeah. I'd never even heard of this film and that's the great thing you mentioned. This is our olive episode and that's the great thing about, um, olives catalog is at first blush, you may think, well, they're not one of the heavy hitters. And then you look at their filmography and you think, man, they got some really cool stuff and some deep cuts and. It seems like every time we do an episode, seems like only yesterday, uh, I was looking at their catalog and thinking, Call it understanding. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I understood that they had some Roy Scheider shit and some other stuff uh, that I just had never seen. And um, I was going to kind of pick this one if you didn't um, because the cast and everything. It's got a great cast. It's got a really cool poster, too. I like the apple with the fuse on it. Very nice. fuse on it, right? It's a great poster. And this one, speaking of great, this has, like we said, a great cast. You know, it's really quarterbacked by Nick Nolte, uh, Joe Beth Williams, uh, Judd Hirsch. Yeah. uh, Ralph Macchio. Uh, It's always great to see him. He's, you know, he'll always have a place in my heart because he's a big Karate Kid fan as a kid. Uh, Alan Garfield, Richard Mulligan, uh, with some subtle acting, Royal Dano. Playing Ditto. Yeah, that's <laughs> right, man. Uh, Art Metrano shows up. He's a fucking sleazebag in this. Oh, yeah, uh, Art Metrano. Yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, he's a. Ro- this movie is that's time in a, it's in a time and place that uh, does not exist anymore. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Gets uh, into some lo- pretty seedy shit. Oh, man. Big time. <laughs> Laura Dern's baby-faced in this. Crispin Glover's baby-faced. Morgan Freeman has incredible hair in this. Oh, man, does he ever. Yeah, so, I mean, it's got a really, really heavy cast. And I, I like I said, I'd never even heard of this. Um, and Arthur Hiller, the director, uh, and fellow Canuck, born in the great uh, province of uh, Alberta. Yeah. Uh, he's, you know, he's got a few things in it under his... Uh, you know, in his filmography, he directed Love Story, you know, Mr. Ryan O'Neill. Yeah. Uh, See No Evil, Hear No Evil, which was, you know, uh, pretty big in the 80s. And a few other things, uh, Carpool and a few other things. But um, Did a couple is, of, uh, I think he did Silver Streak. Oh, yeah, he did. That's right, he so, did. And I think he came back and worked with uh, uh, Wilder and uh, Pryor and See No Evil, Hear No Evil, which is ridiculous, but it's not bad. He, he does it's have a, a few good films. Yeah, 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 he was an OK. He wasn't, he wasn't a hack or anything, oh, you know. In a, in a weird part of Serendipity, he actually directed a film called Tobruk. Which we did taxi oh, to Tobruk, wow. but he did one no with Rock kidding. Hudson and George Papar called Tobruk. It must have been around the same time. Man, I, I mean, the same uh, setting, obviously. I got to see fact, this. Oh, wow. A Canadian POW major is rescued by a special British military unit made up of Germans oh. to help lead an attack on a major Nazi fuel depot. It almost sounds Tobruk. like taxi yeah. to Tobruk in a way. <laughs> it does, except this one has Rock Hudson, yeah, George Papar, Nigel Green. Oh, we, yeah. we, need, we need to do that. That'd be a good one to do right there. We've never done a Rock Hudson. No, I love rock. I'd like to maybe do one of his Cirque films. Oh yeah, at okay. some point. Yeah, I love rock. Or 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 uh, Pretty Maids All in a Row, which is yeah. I have done one awesome. rock film, which was Seconds, which I did on the projection booth with those guys. Seconds is tremendous. Yeah. I've always and I've said it to you. You know, I feel this way. I think Rock's tremendously underrated as an actor. Super underrated. Yeah, he's, he's one of my favorites, man. He did so much, you know, a lot of cool stuff, and he just uh, people kind of look at him as you know the the comedies he did and kind of slight, but he he was he had some depth to his uh, his films. Um, but yeah, interesting film. Um, you and I had spoke briefly about this. It, it it is a comedy and a drama, a dramedy, if you want to use a cutesy pie term. Mm. And it doesn't always work. Um, yeah. At times, it, it, it you know it tries to have its cake in it too, and it does a little bit of stuff with um, some kind of socially conscious stuff, and then it'll mix in some very eighties kind of wacky high school hijinks. Oh yeah. So you know the mileage varies, but I think it is very much a time capsule, and, and it. 
it's a, I'm glad this film is on blue and I'm glad we covered it all of picked it up and put it out because you know it's it's that moment in time that is very nostalgic certainly you know it opens up and a lot of times when you get these high school films it, films it's west coast and this is very much an east coast i mean it opens in the middle of like a snowstorm basically yeah, i remember watching it and it came on the credits and i was like it seems like only yesterday yeah i was fucking <laughs> shoveling blowing snow every day man what I, what country. i always remembered about this movie was the comedy and the dramedy, the comedy and the drama, the comedy and the drama are a mis- mishmash and they don't really work. I mean, when I was younger, it worked more, but it doesn't really work as much critically looking at it. Yeah. But what I do remember, even at a young age, is, is that Nick Nolte is still, you know, he, he is so He's good great, at playing man. this kind of character. He is. This is um, this is North Dallas 40. I mean, this is so this is even, you know, like a less macho version, but even something like Extreme Prejudice. Nick Nolte has always done world weary mm-hmm. uh, very well yeah like you know just just tired he's just he's been there he's done that he's tired he doesn't really know where to go from there but he also what he can also do is he can also turn that around on a dime because he has tough guy looks he does and he can he can stand out in a crowd i mean he's just a he's a big dude he's got a commanding presence uh reminds me sometimes of george c scott sometimes how he can turn yeah. on a dime and just command a scene yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. Um, again, you know, without this being sort of a big budget film and, you know, I don't know how the the, the original was that Olive worked with, but I think the blue looks good. Yeah, it looks good. You know, it's not a showcase piece for the format, but it definitely looks good. And, you know, again, part of that is the decade it was shot right in the middle of the 80s when everything was kind of overlit. And, you know, a lot of it's definitely going to be overlit because it's interiors in a school. So... I think all things considered, it uh, it does look good. In typical olive format, though, of course, they don't give us uh, anything in the way of special features. This is the kind of film I, I'd love to hear a, a you know a, a commentary track, you know, yeah, with, yeah, with Hiller or you know some you know some of the guys that worked on. I mean, I don't think you'd get Nolte, but uh, and Hiller's still alive. I mean, he's gosh, he's he looks good for his age. If this is a recent photo, he's uh, eighty. Oh man, he's getting up there. He really is. He's uh, 84? 84? 82? 82? 82. No, oh man, maybe he's up higher than that. He's, he's 88, dude. Oh man, wow, he is getting up there. He's got a wonderful head of hair still. He does. Yeah. It's like um, Sergio <laughs> Martino, man. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so uh, the film looks quite good, all things considered. Um and we even, I mentioned North Dallas 40, we even get sort of like a very North Dallas 40-esque wake-up from Nick Nolte. Yeah, yeah, that weary wake-up. Weary right. wake-up. I, kind of- I got a little juicy wiggle here. Hang on, let's go. As you can tell, it's very infectious there. Yeah, totally. I could see the kids loving that one. Oh yeah, my son loves it. Yeah, I could totally see that. Do you know those? Speaking, of, do you know those guys? What are they called? Go Noodle or something? Uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe. Go Noodle. They're kind of wacky. They do like um, like kids music. Yeah, kind of. But I think, it's I think more kind of cool. About. Yeah, there's a lot of YouTube videos. Anyway, if he likes that, you should you should check that out with him. It's yeah. called Go Noodle. They're that pretty song cool. is incredibly clean, considering it you know doesn't sound clean, but it yeah. is incredibly clean, and the song's not filthy at all. Um, the video, on the other hand, you know there's some girls dancing in there, so. He does like it, so I have to let him watch the video with the lyrics as opposed to the uh, 
over the six video months. That you want to watch? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the one I want to watch. Yeah. yeah, but it's incredibly infectious. And of course, I you know I don't listen to that kind of music. So here I am in the car. I'm like, everybody, juicy wiggle. Of course, man. You're giving her a fist pump in. <laughs> Shirt comes off. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> um, well, uh, fuck. <laughs> Joe Beth Williams is a juicy wiggle in this film. Uh, yeah, she really does do a juicy wiggle. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we'll get to a juicy wiggle because, yeah. Um, but, okay, Nick Nolte is such a bachelor. He's got fucking tang in the cupboard. Yeah. I could make a crass joke right now, and I'm going to, about having tang in the cupboard and tang in the bed. But, uh, you know. Yeah. He had, the, he had double tang that morning. Double tang, doubling down, man. Um, one of the things I like about this film is I think this was a time when, well, we'd seen it even, I guess, sometimes in the 60s and 70s, but I feel like this was at a time when, you know, the economy had taken a shit and people were, you know, kind of down in the dumps. And I think you get some nice moments of seeing, you know, this high school being underfunded and the teachers kind of being scrappy and trying to slug it out and, you know, trying to work. And, and there's there's a glimmer of optimism and idealism with them. But, you know, they're really up against the wall here. And I, I think that, you know, some of the stuff that tries to have a message in this film without being preachy. I don't think it's a preachy film. No, no, no. Um, no. I think it's effective. Yeah. Uh, but again, because you're breaking that tone, it, it, you know, it doesn't build up to sort of this crescendo. It's not. There's you know, a whole Italian. genre in the mid eighties of these type of films of these, uh, you know, teachers up against the wall and they kind of oh, all, big time. they kind of all kind of went the way of the, uh, the eighties action movie by the time they got to Jim Belushi and the principal. But, that was 87, I believe, which, again, I always say is that golden year. Because we oh, always yeah. say that because that's when it seems like movies of the 80s really hit the bonkers button and <laughs> and went full bore into, like, what the fuck is everybody doing? But, you know, this is shot in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Columbus, Ohio does have some rundown areas. Oh, yeah. It uh, can be tough and even was becoming tough in the mid-80s. Yeah. Uh, when you see this, you think, man, this school's in bad shape. But the reality is some of the inner city schools at this time were 10 times worse than this. 10 times worse, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's funny, you know, the teacher genre or subgenre, I mean, it was so prevalent in the 80s. Where, mm-hmm. And it would go from everything from sort of stand and deliver to class of 1999. Yeah. It just everything in between. There were so many more teacher films. It seemed like it started with the sex comedies, and then yeah, somewhere along high school setting, yeah, and, and it seemed like after that, it just at some point in the eighties, they developed some really strong dramas. Now, of course, teacher films are 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 ripe for sometimes for Oscar bait, right? So they are absolutely. So you do get that, but you do get some pretty wacky ones. Like I enjoyed that Sam Jackson one from uh, about ten or fifteen years. What that one eight seven, whatever it was. Oh, uh, was that the one with Ben Affleck? No, 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 that was, no, no. That was the one with Clifton Collins Jr. and Samuel. Oh, Jackson. I didn't see it then. If it was Clifton Collins, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's pretty good though. It, it, I mean, it's, it's, well, I mean, it's it's for what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, even uh, in the '90s, they had the substitute, and you know they, they did. They were kind and, of and, and then you know it's replaced the teacher film as the coach film. Yeah, yeah, the coach films. Right. Yeah. All the all of the, those those genres—the coach film, sports film, the teacher film, the I don't know, the apprentice film, whatever you want to call it, like Karate Kid stuff—all that stuff kind of became a huge thing. It seemed like between like '83. And definitely 90. I don't know. It might have went a little bit further into the 90s than that. But, man, it seemed like every time I turned around, there was another inspirational teacher story speaking when I was of, growing up. Speaking of turning around, I think the last film to really cash in on this was when Michelle Pfeiffer turned her chair around. 
so she could get some real talk in and rap with the youth of today <laughs> in uh, yeah. Dangerous Minds. You know, I've never seen that film. I, I was in high school, so of course I had to see it when it came out, right? Well, but, you, you, you were bumping uh, Gangster's Paradise in the car. Of course, back in the, yeah, yeah. Of course, absolutely I was. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, I like that song, too. It was, it, talk about a song that got huge. overplayed. Man, that thing blew up. And Did it I ever. See, I got sick of seeing, uh, what's his name, Rest in Peace there, Nate Dog, man. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, they, they would do like like these like epic Queen concert-esque uh, performances with like choirs and everyone in white and mm-hmm. it just got went crazy. But um, yeah, I just remember that ridiculous moment when it's like Michelle Pfeiffer turns the chair around and <laughs> she wants to really get down and talk. But uh, yeah, you know, and this, this film's kind of right in the middle of that. Uh, <laughs> um, and you know what I like too is that the school, when you get to the school and it, you first kind of see it from the teacher's perspective, it almost does that thing that you kind of get like the 80s police precinct yeah. where it's like the wacky students in here and the phone's ringing and, you know, it just it kind of feels like that to me, like the 80s. There precinct. are some things in here that would never happen today, though. Like there's a kid no. in the beginning that is bleeding in a chair and everybody's just kind of nonchalantly saying because they're so used to this. Like, yeah. hey, you know, that kid over there is bleeding, right? And everybody's so used to that. But nowadays, of course, if a kid gets a scrape on a knee, parents are called, investigations are done, paperwork is filed. It's just a different era we live in now. Now it's a very litigious oh, type thing. Litigious, you know? absolutely litigious. There are some stuff, there are some things in here that are very wacky that, like I said, it, 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 you throw enough at the wall, some of it's going to stick, but some of it doesn't. Like, there's a moment when it, and how about that photocopier? What a cumbersome photocopier. Oh, yeah, I know. I never, I never, I mean, horrible. I never even saw one of those. So, <laughs> for those that don't know, it's basically you put a paper through, paper through this manual rolling device. It almost looks like, yeah, like I guess a cigarette rolling machine or something, or I don't know. It's, it looks awful. And one of the teachers loses her shit and, <laughs> you know, just sprays ink all over another teacher. And, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's that so blue it ink too. I do remember the blue copies when I was in school. This is I'm older. Oh yeah, that smell too, right? Yeah, the smell of it. yeah. They had more of a smell and stuff. Of course, once they realized kids were sniffing it and stuff like that, they kind of changed the. Uh, well, the, the ditto copier came along and you know revolutionized copies, but uh, totally did man making copies. <laughs> uh, it absolutely did. Um, I like the subplot where we get. Raw. I, I wish you know if this film had been a little more focused. I really like the stuff with Machio because he feels like a character that's really stuck in the middle. He's got divorced parents. He doesn't have many prospects. And Nolte, without it sort of falling into too much cliche, kind of tries to take him under his wing a little bit um, and tries to kind of steer him and... Yeah, relate to him. Relate to him a little bit and kind of gently prod him in the right direction. And there's a pretty solid scene with uh, Machio's parents and... They're both kind of playing him as a pawn in the middle. They don't really care, it seems. They're too self-involved. And I think Nolte says the mother. And we should say his mother's played by yeah. you know, one of my favorite on-screen crackpots. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, what's her name? Zora Lampert. Yeah, Zora so, Lampert. <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of cool Ralph people. Ralph Macchio, 54 years old this year. Yeah, 54 years young. Jesus. Yeah, big time. What a, what a, what a three-film run, Ralph. I mean, what a run he had in the 80s, we should say. Yeah, the Outsiders, yeah. Karate Kid, Teachers, which is kind of overlooked. Crossroads. Crossroads, Karate Kid Part 2. And I think Distant Thunder is what right. kind of changed for him a little bit. But, yeah, because he did Karate Kid Part 3 and then a couple other little films. They did My Cousin Vinny, and then he pretty much disappeared. That was it, yeah. Exit stage left. But he did a lot of stuff. It's just that it was shorts and things. And I think he went, I think, 
if I'm, I could be wrong about this, but I do believe he basically kind of retired to help raise his family. He did yeah. one of those deals. Uh, so, you know, Ralph Macchio, all around good guy. I've never heard anything bad about him. Nor have I. So, uh, and he seems to be making a little bit of a comeback now. He does. I'm looking. He's got some stuff on. Like I said, always very likable, a youthful face. Yeah. You know, he'll always be a big, 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 big part of my childhood. So, you know, yeah. it's nice to see him making a little bit of a comeback. Um, but I love that line when Nolte says to Zora Lampert, she, he says, don't you care about your son's education? And she says, isn't that your job? Oh, yeah, I know. And I can tell you, you know, just as a parent, not to get preachy, but I mean, it's like, you know, I see shit like that because I'm in my kid's classroom volunteering a couple of times a week. And it's like I see the kids that you know, their parents aren't reading to them and they're, you know, it's like, man, it's uh, it's tough. And some of the social drama stuff in this, you know, it it could have been, you know, it could have been, a, I think, a great film, not just not to, to critique Hiller too much because he makes a, a solid film, but. I think if it had been more focused mm-hmm. and didn't try to kind of put its eggs in several baskets, it could, yeah. it could have been a really, really solid little piece. With because they got some actors that can pull the weight, right? Yeah. So what it feels like watching it this time is it feels like every like thing that's not supposed to happen in a high school happens in this high school. Yes, from rape to uh, violence to <laughs> people car dying, theft to- car theft. Uh, guns, not to give anything away, but just, you know, guns. Yeah. Almost everything and anything that can happen in this film. And the moment with the gun is so heavy. Yeah. I mean, it is so heavy, it almost feels out of place in the movie. It, and and when, when you say heavy, I want to be clear, like, it, it packs a wall up. I don't, like, it, it feel it's a pretty powerful moment, I think. It is. It's like a really, it's like Oscar-heavy type of moment. Yeah. Um, And it, in a weird way, watching it this time, it... Watching it this time as a 42-year-old man, it wasn't nearly as funny as I remember watching it when I was, right, you know, like 15, 16, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and that's because I'm an adult now. And I'm an adult. Yeah. It seems like only yesterday. It really played differently for me. And some of it was a bit of a downer. Really, it just kind of. Yeah, it was sad, man. Yeah, some of it was really sad, and it, it, even the bu- bu- uh, bureaucracy. Oh, shit, I can't talk. The, the you know the bureaucratic stuff yep. of the politics and the teachers' union and everything else. I mean, there is a very uplifting moment toward the end of the film, but yeah. it comes right after the heaviest moment of the movie, and it seems so misguided to me. I don't yeah. know if it felt that way to you, but I mean, you got this heavy yeah. moment, and then the next thing you know, you got somebody going, "I'm a teacher." Yeah, no, and you're sure. like rah 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 with the Bob Seger song, but man, let's let's d- deal a little bit more with what these kids got to be going through. I mean, they went through a traumatizing event, big time, man. So and I don't, that's the I don't problem. Know. It doesn't. It's not focused enough. I think you know. Well, just ten minutes before that line, Joe Beth Williams is ran naked through the hallway. That's right, and I have to say, she looks she looks pretty in this film. She does. I, she's I not a, my type, but she looks pretty in this film. Well, yeah, she's not my type either. But I have a hard time believing she was one of his ex students. Yeah, and they got that really creepy moment with uh, Nick Nolte when she says, "You remember her? Oh yeah, teacher. Oh yeah, great ass." Yeah, well, that's why there's so much stuff in this that just wouldn't fly nowadays. No, no, it'd be considered like, yeah, ooh, man, it'd be bad. Different time. Um, how about Nick Nolte wearing the fucking Hawaiian shirt, man? Every time I see him in a Hawaiian shirt, I think <laughs> of that that terrible mug shot. Yeah, he's like a guy that seems to me like he was born in a Hawaiian shirt. Like he's yeah, he probably was. He's man. the prototype for the Hawaiian shirt guy. Amazing, constantly yeah. smells like piss and peyote. <laughs> 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 
Yeah, cheap beer, man. <laughs> the double P there, bae. Double P. Speaking of double, man, how about Laura Dern? You know what her name is in this double denim Dern, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. She got the double the denim going. Tuxedo, yeah, she's yeah. coming correct. Um, <laughs> what else do we got? I got a lot of notes. I won't get into too much. You mentioned the thing with the gun. I think it is a concern of the time. There's really when you really should see a proliferation of guns. Yeah, and it's amplified um, now, right? So it's, Yeah, it really is, um, unfortunately. Um and yeah, I think, you know, you see a lot of cynicism in the film at all levels, you know, from the students to the teachers, the parents. Um, there's an amazing Hall & Oates shirt in this. Yeah. And I like that. Uh, yeah, Columbus, Ohio, Ohio State, you know, a lot of schools with scandals. You'd mentioned that. And it's, uh, yeah, I could keep going, but I won't in the interest of time because we have a lot to talk about. We have five more films to talk about. <laughs> Yes, yes, we do. So uh, I'll get into a few things. It is a weird fix. Um, a weird fix. It is a weird fix. A weird mix of. Uh, we kind of we talked about this how it's kind of misguided because it's kind of got that seventies filmmaking like message. Yes, but the eighties sensibilities of a little bit of that eighties exploitation. Wacky. Yeah, the sex and and you know all vi- some violence. Yeah, and the kind of hijinks they get into. But like I said, some of the moments are very heavy. But it's really bizarre how. Hiller and the writer McKinney, who owned, this is the only film, W.R. McKinney, this is the only film he ever wrote, or at least the only one he's ever been credited with. I don't know if he's got another name or if this is somebody else with a name, but I didn't see anything when I did a look, uh, look up on him. Um, it really feels like they wanted to go one way, but they thought, it, it feels like the studio interfered. Like, look, kids won't go see this movie unless you have some comedy. Yeah. Uh, I remember one of the reasons why this movie was watched quite a bit was because the this is uh, sure still during the heyday of MTV and they would play a lot of music off the soundtrack. Which we had, we should mention is a kind of a great um, 80s, not rock, I mean, it, kind of... Uh, yeah, kind of rock pop, kind of... Rock pop. I mean, it's a really great soundtrack yeah. uh, for sure that we were surprised to hear was intact. But I think you nailed it with saying that Studio, inter- it really does reek of studio interference because it looked like they were trying to make one film and they said, no, no, listen, the sex comedy, the wacky high school comedy is where it's at. We'll mm-hmm. get some butts in the seats. Yeah. You can have a little bit of your message, but you got to put some of this in so we can cut a trailer that's going to look like it's wacky. Yeah, because the nudity is unnecessary in the film. Oh, yeah. The, the Joe Beth Williams thing, you and I talked about this. It just makes no sense. None. none. There is no sense. Like. That's the, one of the biggest shoehorn nudity <laughs> scenes I've ever seen yeah. in the history yeah. of cinema. So, so so bizarre. But, I mean, it is a rated R film. I mean, we should say that. It is definitely yeah. a rated R film, and it earns its R with uh, some of the language, some of the nudity. There's two uh, nude scenes. I believe the the, uh, the tang in the bed at the, yeah. <laughs> at the beginning shows some uh, nudity as well. But, yeah, it was weird watching it this time because I always felt like – this movie was funnier, and I hadn't seen it in multiple years, and I saw Olive picked it up, and I was like, you know, i got to check this out, because <laughs> it, it, re, to rewatching it now, I'm like, you know, who does this, what does this movie, who does this movie really exist for? I mean, what... Who does it play for, yeah. Yeah, who does this play for? It might only play for the nostalgia crowd, like me, who grew up with it, because I can't see it playing with newer crowds or becoming like a cult classic. I think... Some of the performances in the film are A+. Plus. There's no doubt about it. No no pun intended with the grade score there. But uh, although, <laughs> although that was, I have to admit, that was pretty uncanny. That was, I didn't mean That's to amazing. do that. But, uh, you know, I mean, like Richard Mulligan, he has a great little fun performance because he kind of gets to the essence of being a teacher. Kids yeah. are actually learning with him because he's making yes. it fun. Uh, but, of course, in, in the grand scheme of things, he's an insane person, uh, which right. is kind of playing on all that. And then... 
you know, the Nick Nolte character, actually, he's a troubled, you know, he's a guy that started out with a great idea. Him and Judd Hirsch, they got this great scene together where they talk about how they started out with these great ideas, but Judd Hirsch has gotten caught up in the political side of Nick Nolte's. And he's kind of got stuck in the other side of it, but he's given up as well because he just feels like, you know, it's useless. They have a great chemistry together, and I have to say, I've always liked Hirsch. I, I feel like I wish... He oh, did yeah. more film because I think he had something in him. He could have stretched his legs a little bit. Yeah, Judge great, man. I, I, he does I'm a lot of fan. television. Um, but, you know, he's a great character actor. He really is. I mean, I agree, man. I love him. He's good in everything he does. I mean, he's one of those guys who, uh, of course, he's got a unique look. I mean, the minute you see him. But he, he just oh, he feels so natural on camera. You know what he's really good in is uh, the Paolo Sorrentino film uh, with Sean Penn. Oh, is he? Oh, yeah, that's right. He's in that. I haven't still haven't seen he's that really, yet. Yeah, he's really good. In yeah, that. I mean, he can hold his own with any actor on the face of the planet. Like Judd Hirsch. I mean, yeah, he might be known as the guy from Taxi a lot of times, but I've seen him in multitudes of films with multitudes of actors, and nobody overplays him. And even when he's quiet, he can hang in there with. He can you know, hang, man. Yeah, well, Nolte, De Niro. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you can name it. He can hang in there. He's not, yeah. no problem. And he's not afraid to work. He'll do anything, it seems like. so. Yeah, it's true. But I wish he, he had had a chance to work with the Coens or someone that would have maybe used him. Yeah. Or even something serious to kind of plumb the depths. Because I, I remember seeing even as a kid, like on Taxi, when I'd be homesick from school and think, man, this guy's, I like this guy. He's good. And yeah, I don't know why. Anything he, I've never, seen him pop up and I've been It's funny with. you mentioned that. I don't know why the Coens haven't picked up on him. Seems like somebody that they would pick up on. Totally, man. He's got that totally. Cohen Cohen cast face, you know. Yeah, he totally does. Yeah, maybe he's ripe for a late Renaissance film like uh, some of our great actors are doing right now, which I'll you know I'll talk about Manglehorn next week or whatever. But uh, you know, some of our late uh, our late cycle actors kind of get you know like Mickey Rourke got a great comeback. Maybe 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 somebody's gonna make a a Judd Hirsch film. You know, if I, I had so, an opportunity, man. maybe I could write a Judd Hirsch piece. You know, That'd be amazing. <laughs> um. But yeah, I don't really have a whole lot more to add. I think that the, at the center of this movie is a really great relationship between the Machio character and the Nolte character. Yeah. Which I think makes it worth watching because both characters come full circle. And uh, they did manage to do that. I think they leave a lot of stuff hanging. But uh, that that mentor-student relationship is pretty solid. Uh, a little silly at first, a little wacky at first, but Nolte's just trying to get inside. But... Ultimately, you see that Nolte cares, and uh, mm-hmm. that's what you know. The best teachers do. The, be- the best teachers I had growing up are the ones that cared, not the ones that were great teachers by the numbers, but the ones that actually would take a second and say, you know, how you doing? Yeah, what's going on? Humanize their yeah. students. How about just... that ball game last night? Something like that, you know? Because yeah. it opens your mind that much more. It makes you realize the teachers are people too. So that's right. Absolutely. That's all I got. Let's do an MBTs and make or breaks on this one. Uh, make or break. I'm gonna go with the scene with Hirsch and Nolte. I really like that scene. That's you know, a good you see one. two yeah. good actors. I would say even say great actors, even though no one seems to know, know Hirsch is great except for us. It seems, but <laughs> yeah. um, you know, they just you know they're friends. They lament how they've kind of lost their way a little bit, and one's been playing the system, and one refuses to play the system. And you know, it's a good scene. I think it kind of shows both sides of the coin. Uh, MBT in saying that I am gonna go with the cast. I could go with Nolte alone, or you know, a number of people, Macho and. I think everyone works well in the film, despite the uneven content of the material. So mm-hmm. I got to give it up to the cast. It was, it was deep cast. Uh, oh, my yeah. score is a six point seven five out of ten. Nice. I quite like this. You know, I think it's one every couple of years. I wouldn't mind throwing on just to revisit. Um, yeah. You know, it, it doesn't get as high as it could. Yeah, it's a bit of a time capsule too, and it hasn't aged incredibly well. But but that's okay because that's that's an era when I was four or five years old and. Yeah. 
you know, the world was uh, kind of a magical place. So anything with that aesthetic sort of mid-80s really, uh, really, you know, does yeah. it for me. So. Well, I'm, I'm pretty much with you on this one. Uh, my make or break, though, I, I like the scene with uh, Nolte and Machio after the heavy... Uh, oh, yeah. The heavy a good one. It's a really good one. It's a really, really good one. Uh, very emotional. My MVT, I could go with Nolte. I could go with Hirsch. I could go with the scene between... <laughs> I mean, I could go with so many moments. Jo Beth Williams is actually good in the film. because She is good in the film. She cares. Morgan Freeman's great and playing a kind of a... A bit of a seedy lawyer, but you see that, you know, he's caught up in this. And uh, even the, the, the lady that uh, plays the kind of... The Lee Grant, the lady that plays the kind of hard-nosed uh, politician kind of doctor... She is uh, good too, even though she's playing a terrible character in a lot of ways. But yeah, you know, it, 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 the, the, I have to agree with you, man. The cast. I mean, this thing is cast Solid, through and top through, to yeah. bottom. Even and the materials and even yeah. performances aren't. Mulligan's a lot of fun too. I mean, he, he's a bit he one note in this, but he's having a blast. So he is having a blast. Yeah. And my score is the same as yours, six point seven five. I agree with you completely. Nice. It's about nice. where it's. I at. like this one, man. I'm glad yeah. you picked it. I, I said nice little film. Yeah, it's good. It's good fun. Uh, instead of taking a break, we're going to do uh, another film right now, and then we'll take a break. So let's get into it. <laughs> it's been a long time coming for this one, I think. Oh, yeah. So let me... Uh, Quiet guess, gun here. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. <clears throat> so we are going to get into 1987, the wonderful year of 1987's uh, Running Man, the, the Running Man from uh, 1987, like I said, directed by Paul Michael Glazer, also known as, uh, was it Starsky? Is he Starsky? I always Hutch? fucking forget that. I think he's Starsky. Hutch. Maybe Starsky. I'll go with you. <laughs> oh, for, oh, right. There's some Starsky and Hutch fans right out there right now. Motherfucker. Zom's out there right now going, you son of a bitch. I run over you with my Torino. Um, right. But he directed this film. Um, a wrongly convicted man must try to survive a public execution gauntlet staged as a game show. So, <laughs> uh, I can lead on this one if you want me to. Uh, unless cool. you want to. Okay. Uh, this one is, this one is a bizarre film. I remember when I saw this, my brother and his best friend growing up watched this thing on repeat. And one of the reasons why is because this has some of the most quotable Arnold Schwarzenegger dialogue. Oh, totally. Maybe, maybe of any of his films. <laughs> Let me ask you this before we get into it, because we're both big fans of this one. Yes. Um, where does this sit in the pantheon of Arnie films for you? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, five, even if you don't know, maybe exactly like top three, top five, top ten. Man, uh, I'm gonna say top five. I think that's a fair place to say. I would say top three to five. But man, that's a tough one. I'm looking through his filmography right now because Commandos in there, Conan the Barbarians in there, Terminator, uh, Terminator, Predator. Yeah, Predator. I think Predator's probably got to be number one for me. Yeah, Predator. I think Predator's number one for me as well. That's, you know what? Yeah, I'll, I'll go with I'll go with top five because I named those four. And then what do you put? I mean, there's other ones, you know. But Total Recall. We forgot about Total Recall. Oh fuck! See that make fuck, that might that might man. push it to top six. See, it might because you know what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It gets it gets pretty tough, man. Jeez, it does. It gets really tough. Um, and True even lies. even Last Action Hero, which is a top ten one for me, probably. Yeah. But you know. It is what it is, but uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's uh, it's certainly up there, top five, top six. Let's go there. <laughs> and I never knew he played Mickey Hargaday in Jane Mansfield's story in 1980. <laughs> yeah. I gotta see. I hope he wears that uh, ridiculous mask that Mickey wore in that film uh, where he's like, a, it's like a medieval film where he's like an executioner. 
Hope he wears those uh, red speedos he wore in uh, Last Goodbye or whatever. No, the long goodbye. Oh, oh, the long goodbye. He's got that that uh, dirt mustache with a yellow banana hammock. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, he was so happy with that scene, man. <laughs> All right, so this film does have a pretty amazing cast. You got Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh. It's got very. This is a very macho movie. You got Arnold Schwarzenegger. You got. I'm gonna do the macho first, and we'll get into the uh, the female lead, who is also awesome in her own right. Totally uh, is. Yafet Kato, back on the show again. He's a yeah. GGTMC staple, one of our favorites. Absolutely. Not super macho in this, but always great to see him. Super fucking bad hair, though. Oh, super fucking bad <laughs> Man, hair. His hair's the worst in this. <laughs> yeah. We got Jim Brown, the great Who also Jim has fucking terrible hair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's got that gray, flaming oh, flat, to flat top look. Yeah, uh, got Jesse the body in here who has bad hair as well. Oh, he does, man. <laughs> Everybody's does. got bad hair in this movie. Everyone. Uh, you got Erlen Van Lith. I mentioned him because he's the rather large, enormous actor. He was in The Wanderers, if you remember, playing the head yeah, of the Yeah, of course, Baldies, man. Yeah. The big dude that, that married, uh, what's her name there? <laughs> yeah. uh, little yeah. Bro- Brooklyn uh, Yeah, girl. I can't remember her name in the movie. But shame on me, but yeah. uh, Pee Wee. Pee-wee, that's right. Um, so he's in there. You got uh, a couple other tough guy actors like... Uh, Gus Rethswitch, who played Bussaw, and then, uh, of course, Professor Toro to Tatanaka, Sub-Zero. Sven Oli Thorson. <laughs> yeah, Sven Oli Thorson's in there. Got the scores of steroids. Hey, I got to say this because I saw the name in the credits, and we love great names in credits. Yeah. This is Pantheon. There is an actor in this. I know. <laughs> We're I know. so juvenile. I know. This guy's real name is Roger. <laughs> I can't even say it. Roger Bumpass. <laughs> that's amazing it was one of my notes <laughs> dude as soon as i i couldn't write that fast enough when i saw it i knew we'd both mention it roger roger bump ass uh well you know you got to start somewhere right so yeah man anyway oh Fran- we forgot about franco colombo in this yeah franco colombo's in there who who was he in the film wasn't he just one of the he guys was, he was just a security guy yeah yeah that's what i thought yeah roger <laughs> Roger Bumpass, poor bastard. I know him from other stuff. He's done a lot of voice voice stuff, so he mostly does that. Oh, he does Squidward on uh, SpongeBob. How about that? It doesn't matter which way you cut the pie with his name. He's fucked. It's either Bump, Bumpass, or Bumpass. I bet he calls it Bumpus. What do you want to bet? He totally calls it Bumpus. Yeah. Uh, you also get some really some stunt casting in here as well. You get Mick Fleetwood from Fleetwood Mac, and you get Dweezil Zappa. Dweezil Zappa. You get Richard Dawson as a game show host, which is stunt casting, but Richard Dawson's fun anyway. Richard Dawson is a lot of fun in this. Yeah, and then last but certainly not least, and I don't mean to leave her last, but I'm I'm saving her because I think she's she's very valuable to the film in general, and that and, that, and I think she's an underrated actress anyway, and that's Maria Conchita Alonso. Couldn't agree more. Here's what I want to say now that we've seen the body of Arnie, uh, no pun intended, the body of Arnie's work over the course of time. You know what I've, I, I've come to really admire about his films is that uh, as much as he was the king, I mean, Arnie's the king. I, you know, I love Sly. Don't get me wrong. Sly's probably, no, he certainly is a better actor. But yeah. when it comes to action films, I mean, Arnie's the fucking king. Sorry. Uh, I've loved that Arnie, if you look at his films, he has always, almost always had a multicultural cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His, his team, his friends, uh, Hispanic, African-American, etc. 
he's always got a multi- multicultural cast. And I think a lot of that comes from the bodybuilding world when a lot of his friends were you know, a variety of backgrounds, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I love that. And I also give credit because I think he always, not to say always, but it feels like a large percentage of the time he had great, capable, tough-as-nails women in his films. Yeah. yeah. He didn't make them like um, Kate Capshaw in Temple of Doom. Yeah. I mean, the women in his films hold their own. Yeah. They're tough. They kick the shit out of him sometimes. They're smart. They're resourceful. So as much as people want to say Arnie's a fucking pig and, you know, chauvinistic and this and that, he always, or at least in a, f- a few different examples, had really strong women in his films and great multicultural t- uh, casts. So I got to yeah. give it up to him for that. I think, you know, the, the the when people say the pig thing, I think, of course, you know, it's because Arnie, the way he relates to women now yeah. is antiquated, right? It is. Uh, and it is... A, it, by today's standards, it's a bit piggish. But yes. I think that also I agree with you. I think that all of his cast, I, and I know he, we we know for a fact he had his hand in some of his casting, some of his people and stuff, but he's never been afraid to surround himself with other tough guys mm-hmm. or to see the value. And it seems to me like give guys who, like, he, you know, here he is. He's got, Jesse Ventura's been in a couple of his films. You know, he didn't have to bring Jesse Ventura in there. That's competition no. for the screen for him. Absolutely. You know, he brings Bill Duke in. He'll bring, uh, you know, these guys in. And, you know, these guys could steal the spotlight from him. But And totally. in some ways they do. I mean, I remember Bill Duke in uh, Predator. He, in some scenes, he does steal the scene, you know. And and even in the Commando, he's got a great moment. I eat green berets for breakfast. Or, no, he don't say that. Oh, he says, totally. He, but, yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, he could bring in someone like Jim Brown, who's an American icon. Yeah. You know, even someone like Dawson, he lets, I mean, listen, Dawson's one of the great, one of the, the, the great action hero, action film villains. Yeah. Period. Killian. And (laughs) Killian. And that is in large part due to Arnie wanting to be generous enough or giving enough to give the reins over and say, listen, you know, he understood that I can't be a great hero unless I have a fucking great villain. Yeah. Teamwork seemed to be a big deal for him, and that's Absolutely. you know, and it's it's great the kind of uh, depth of uh, no, not the depth, but the the kind of debt he owed to people. It's like Sven Oli Thorson came over and he got Sven some work, mm-hmm. and at one time Sven he's still a pretty big dude. He's an older man now, but Sven was a huge dude when he came over, you know, and he oh, yeah. he's always loved Sven, yeah, and he brings him with him, you know, just about everywhere he goes. You know, he still uses the same stunt man yeah. he's always gotten work for, and. uh you know, there's just a lot of a lot of things that you. I mean, maybe you can if you're looking at the interviews he's done, some of the other gossip, and some of the other bad things he's done in his personal life. Sure, he's done some he's done some things. shitty things, absolutely. But as an actor, and for what this is, yeah, this is what he, <laughs> this is what he excels at, and, and uh, yeah. he knows when to. I don't know. He he just it. Unlike Sylvester Stallone, the one thing I'll give Arnie over <laughs> Stallone for sure. Is Arnie knows when to take the back seat. Stallone, it always seems like, doesn't really understand that as well. But, you know, hey. Correct. So uh, this one is full of uh, of uh, great lines of dialogue. We talked about that. There's a uh, <laughs> one note here. So that's a big helicopter cab. I forgot how big that helicopter cab was. When they're like, lots of innocent people down there. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite lines in this uh, it, it, there's two great lines about the shirt the Hawaiian shirt this one also has a Hawaiian shirt it does already yeah man how about that there's two great lines about the shirt one where Amber the Maria Conchita Alonso character says I'm warning you I get sick air sick car sick I'm going to throw up all over you and he says go ahead won't show on this shirt that's you amazing know? <laughs> and then another great moment later on they come back to it which is genius 
Because she goes, me and my big mouth, we should have taken that trip to Hawaii. And he goes, I had the shirt for it, but you fucked it up. Yeah, I love that line. <laughs> you know what? Say what you will about Arnie. And is this our first Arnie film? Uh, no, well, we did uh, we did Pump and Iron. So we did Pump and Iron, but it's a documentary, we, right? So that's right. So a little different. That was that was really the the birthplace of of the public getting to re- not not the bodybuilding world, but the public to see what a a charismatic uh, guy he was. Mm-hmm. You know, but his comedic timing is so good. Yeah, it is. It's great, and I think people saw that coming. Right? They saw. They saw. It feels like coming. <laughs> yeah. They saw drop dead. I don't do. Yeah. He's like, I don't do request. Yeah, yeah. so much. Killian, here's your sub zero. Now, yeah. plane zero. Zero. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's some really great moments. There's some funny moments in here that wouldn't work nowadays, like uh, the old lady saying, "He's one mean motherfucker." Oh but yeah, it makes me laugh every time she says it, though, because the way she says it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always feel like this film. I think it was RoboCop '87 or '89. Uh, RoboCop is 87 as well. It was a magical year, man. I think people it forget really was, man. how great a year 87 was for cinema. It seemed, it seemed like it was the convalescence of all that wacky shit at the beginning of the 80s, and it just kind of excelled all the way to 87. It seems like after 87, it kind of dropped off, although we know from doing uh, Stone Cold, which I think was 91 or 93. I can't remember what year that was. 91, I want to say. Yeah. We know some of that stuff yeah. bled over in the straight-to-video yeah. market, but... It seems like 87, because I think Roadhouse is 87 as well. So if you think about, yeah, I think it is. I think if you think Roadhouse, you think RoboCop, you think Running Man. 87, I can't remember what Stallone's movie was that year, but I mean, 87 was just a crazy year. I believe Deadly Prey is 87. Um, There's a lot. 87 is a golden, golden, golden year. Yeah. Even for like horror, man. Yeah, for horror, uh, for cinema in general, it seemed to be. Genre cinema. Yeah, it seemed to be like a pinnacle year. Uh, not that there wasn't good films before or after, but it just seems like a lot of films that people will talk about and they'll go, oh man, that was crazy. It was a pinnacle year for, I think, VHS. Uh, yeah, there you go. Consuming of VH films on VHS. Yes, indeed. Because it was a crazy year. Uh, I'll, we'll get into some more quotes as we go along here, but because <laughs> uh, there's a lot. Oh man. I'm not into politics. I'm into survival. Yeah. Um, okay, let's... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, there's that great moment at the beginning. Uh, I love it. I also love that we gotta, you know, we gotta give uh, props to Paul, uh, John, uh, Paul Michael Glazier here that uh, that uh, Marita Conchita Alonso works out in her lingerie, which is a nice. It's touch. amazing. <laughs> I, she looks fucking gorgeous in the film. She does. She does. She still looks really nice now. I mean, she's older, she sure, but fine wine, man. Yeah, she is. Um, we got to mention our good friend Emily, who loves this film because every time uh, things get shit gets real, Alonzo throws her hair in a, in a pull up. She pulls her hair up in a little bow, a little you know, a little scrunchy thing. Because you know, is that's fitting, what, man. That's what you should do. You should get the hair out of the way, right? You tie that hair up, man. Some really silly shows in here, like climbing for dollars, which would, <laughs> which would actually probably get made today. It's kind of yeah. Like, some of these shows would. I, I think about shit like that when they live aired that dude getting swallowed by the the snake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think sort of bottom of the barrel. Then yeah, climbing for dollars. It's you know, and then UHF I think was eighty seven as well, which I think foretells or yeah comments on a lot of ridiculous shit. And now whenever I see um, Erlen Van Lith in this film, I think of Emily because she loves uh, she loves him in this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's a lot of fun. Hey, Christmas tree. Yeah, He's uh, amazing. <laughs> I don't know, like, uh, like hey, lighthead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh man! At least we won't be talking about Ken Waller on this episode, anyway. That's right. Uh, no Ken Waller on this one. That's a shame. 
yeah, the, so the spandex suits, everybody looks pretty good in them. Even Yafet Kato rocking the spandex suit, not looking too bad. Yeah, that, that's a hard look to pull off, man. That really is. That's an, unf- you know, if you, if you don't have, you know, if you don't have at least a pretty decent body, uh, that's, that's not going to do you any favors, right? And, uh, no. everybody's got some pretty great bodies in this. Uh, of course, Maria Conchita Alonso and Arnold Schwarzenegger having the best. Jim Brown looks good in his spandex. Oh, uh, Jim Brown's a specimen. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we got to say, Yafit continues his penchant for bizarre headwear. He wears two or three peculiar hats when they're incognito in this. Yeah. yeah. I just and feel dude like, always brings his own hats to sets. I just feel like every time he's in a movie, he's like, I got this great idea for a disguise. Nobody yeah. will be able to tell it's me. And it's, of course, there's hardly anybody in the universe that looks like Yafet Kato. No. Yafet Kato, hat enthusiast. Yeah. Always, man. Always. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Still think of that fucking world that Red Baron outfit. The Red Baron outfit, man, and I have a tiger. Oh, I agree with you that uh, Dawson is great in this. He's such an asshole oh. as Kelly, and he's relishing like every moment he's given. Uh, of oh, course, yeah. he's kind of playing off his Family Feud MC he type was stuff. He's bag on Family Feud. <laughs> I know he was. You look at like YouTube clips, man. He was sucking face or trying to suck face with every woman on that show from sixteen to sixty. <laughs> I know. How many do you think he actually screwed? Probably quite a few. <laughs> He definitely screwed a few. Man. Even with the family there, that's disgusting, but it's probably true. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Watching this now, it's funny. This is also that kind of, I said convalescence earlier, but this is also that kind of mixture of comedy and extreme violence that the 80s brought to uh, action cinema. Um, we get chainsaws, crotches. He had to split. Yeah. Uh, we get, uh, you know, barbed wire uh, beheadings. Oh yeah, we get. Uh, I mean, this thing's na- a, this thing's pretty nasty, man. That's an Italian post-apocalyptic <laughs> oh, move right there. One of my notes is it's crazy. Now looking at this film, we've watched so much Italian exploitation for the show, going back and revisiting that stuff, and some of the stuff we've never seen, so we've watched it since we've done the show. It's crazy how Italian this film feels sometimes. It does, and I wish that the Italian film industry, because by this point, I mean they were like it was done. TV had taken over. Yeah, they were in Miami at this point. They were in Miami making films on the cheap. I really wish someone at the height of their powers, you know, Diodato or someone could have made the Italian ripoff of Running Man. Yeah. I wonder if there is an Italian Running Man of any shape or form. There's got to be maybe something, maybe. But, of course, like I said, the industry was dying at that point over there. Oh, yeah. Have we mentioned, have we even mentioned this was a Bachman a novella, novella, right? Yeah, originally it was a novella. Yeah, Richard Bachman. We should say who Stephen King, right? Yeah, other so, people should know Stephen King. So, yeah. But what's always interesting me, sorry to cut you off, is how he's given the writing credit, right? I don't know what year he wrote it, but what's peculiar is I've seen the other two adaptations: Das Millionspiel, the German one, which is like seventy-two or seventy-three, and the. Rise or the price of danger, the French one, which is really good too. And I think that's the angle they were going for more for this one before Arnie got involved and turned it into kind of a cartoon. But mm-hmm. uh, do you know what year the Bachman uh, novella came out? Or ah, you know what? I do not. I'm going to say I want to say it. Well, it has to be late '70s or early '80s. And I and the reason why I say that is I believe King Carey was first. I believe. And I think King started writing. And I could be wrong about this. For King Enthusiast, I want to apologize, but uh, I used to be quite the King Enthusiast. And I still read his stuff on occasion, but uh, 
Uh, I'm going to look it up here real quick on Wikipedia. If you're, because if you're not, Das Millionspiel was 1970. Yeah. Richard right? Bob so it's really. peculiar to me that, like, really? Oh, okay. So here's how it goes. It was, this The German film was adapted from the short story The Prize of Peril by American writer Robert Sheckley. Okay, okay. So it's weird how this kind of... Um, Chances are that King, who's a voracious reader... He saw it, lifted it. He may, you know, yeah, he may have, he may have riffed on it some. The yeah. way the the way the novella is written. If you have you read the novella, I did years ago. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can, I did as well a long time ago. But I can remember really liking the style it was written in. Yeah, and it was really pacey. I remember that it was real pacey and real nice and kind of unlike a lot of the stuff that King does nowadays or has done off and on. Actually, all four of those pieces that are in those Bachman books. That are They're leaner than I think a lot of his yeah. stuff now. Well, Rage deals with uh, high school kidnapping and shooting, which probably they were going to try to make a film out of that, but they'll probably never be able to do that. That book will probably not even be released now. Well, actually, I take that back. Books get released because politicians don't read books. <laughs> That's right. That's uh, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> the Long Walk, which is a great story if nobody's ever read it. And, yes. the, and of course, Roadwork, which I'm surprised has never turned into a film about a guy who shackles up his house. He's not going to get it. He's not going to give his house no matter what. He's going to shoot cops, whatever, come to try to take him out of his home. I'm actually amazed that somebody hasn't made a film out of that with the housing market the way it is nowadays. People foreclosing and all the stuff and all that kind of crap going on nowadays. You could put a really strong lead into that and make it a real. But of course, it would be the rebel against the you know the man. So I don't know if Hollywood wants to go that route right now. So we're not really in the era of rebellion when it comes to cinema right now. No, but yeah, the Robert Shuckley story is 1958. So it's I'd be curious to read the two now and see how much. King lifted yeah. from that because I'm telling you, man, like the prize of peril or danger, the French one and the Dutch million spiel. I mean, they're running, man. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to look into that. I'm going to look, I'd like to read that novel as well. See what that is. Yeah. Cause that, that does have me curious. Right. So, uh, okay. Uh, let's get back to what we're talking about. We talked about the crazy Italian feel to it. Um, yeah, <laughs> I did one of my notes was Alonzo looks great in spandex, but better than Cato? I don't think so. That's right. Uh, <laughs> this has to, like I said, does have some great Marnie moments. One of the great moments is is when he uh, grabs the camera and he's talking to Killian. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he gives that long, uh, where, where's the quote at here? I, just, I, I don't know if I want to do my Arnie impersonation on here, but uh, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to find it. I don't know if I can find it. So I'm, I'll look for it here as we're talking. Something about sticking it up his ass. Yeah. Remember of his break your goddamn spine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah, he makes yeah, the yeah, famous yeah. Arnie. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, yeah. There it is. Right. You cold blooded bastard. Yeah, you bastard. I'll tell you what I think of it. I live to see you eat that contract. Yeah. But I hope you leave enough room for my feast because I'm going to ram it into your stomach. And break yeah, your goddamn, your goddamn spine. spine. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. It's just great. I mean, it's just, there's so many great moments for Arnie in this, and he really shines, and you can see that. You know, he's at the peak of his powers here. He, he really is. is. I was just going to say, he really is at the height of his powers mm-hmm. with this one. And this film was a big hit, but it wasn't a huge hit. I think it only made $11 million more than its budget. It cost about $27 million to make. It made about $38 million. Um, So it wasn't a, a gigantic hit for Arnie, but it was, you know, obviously another string of hits that he had. And uh, it did well. <clears throat> this movie, I, I, I got to say this, uh, just to talk about the disc itself, and I'll pass it over to you, because like I said, we still got three more films to talk about now. Um or five more, right? Oh man, do we ever? Yeah, we got four more, four more, <laughs> right? Four, yeah, four. Yeah, two more, and then two. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I feel like this movie should pop a bit more on blue, and it didn't pop as much as I thought. This movie's quite colorful, 
with the yellow yeah. suits and the neon lights, uh, the great uh, kind of hockey, uh, crazy hockey moment with Sub-Zero. Uh, that felt very dim to me, and I remember that being much more bright, but maybe that's my just my memory. I felt like it should have popped more. Um, not saying it's bad. It looks great. but I'm, I'm, It I'm, looks fine, certainly. It's not a bad transfer. And no. I think this one actually features a commentary track with Glazer. I don't know if they ported it over from a different release or not. I think so. But I think that's interesting. At least it's got, because this is a film that you really want to hear a commentary track for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you really do. They really do. It, uh, I haven't listened to it yet, so I can't wait. No, I, was, I intended to. But of course, timing, I just didn't get a chance to. It says on the trivia here that Dolph Lundgren and Christopher Reeve were interested in starring in the movie. And Patrick Swayze had also been considered. See, it would have been a different film with Swayze if Swayze had have been the star. It would have really fallen in line with the French one, Le Prix du Déjeuner, The Prize of Peril, yeah. which had Gerard, is it Gerard Landvin? I think that's his name. Yeah, Gerard Landvin, uh, Michel Piccoli, and Bruno Cremer. It would have really been more in line with that, which I think was what they were trying to do. And then Arnie read about it, got curious, and jacked it and made it his film, right? An yeah. Arnie film. Yep. Which, so. you know, he has that type of star power to jack it and turn it into something like that. And it... And, you know, in hindsight, uh, thankfully he did because The Running Man's uh, arguably, even though it was a hit and most everybody's seen it, especially among our group, uh, it really in a lot of ways is almost a cult classic. It's really one of these almost uh, like me and my brother talk about all the time. It's one of the few movies you can watch and you just you almost laugh through the whole thing. Oh, it's very entertaining and very energetic. It's not flat. It's never boring. There's always something going on. One liners, colorful characters like I mean, it's constantly moving it's yeah. it's a really good piece of film i mean give it up to glazier you know he did a couple films and um it's just mind-blowing when you think about you know i remember when i first heard that i just couldn't believe that it was him that did it but um let me see i know he had done a couple other things i really liked uh, films Ooh, he did kazam well he did something you he, he actually played a, a character in a film you watched not too long ago lego the adventures of clutch powers that's right he was he did band of the hand though yeah, which, which we've covered on the show. And we loved. Yeah, I did. Ooh, The Cutting Edge, another Emily classic. The Air Up There. I wanted to say, I thought he had done one. The Air Up There is terrible, but I like it. <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure. There was one I had, I really love, and I thought he had done it. It's I think it's called An American Murder. Was it him that did that one? Did he do that uh, one? It's got um, Christopher Walken as a detective. Uh, that, and it's that's this, not him. That's somebody else. I know who you ta- I know what film you're talking about. And it feels like a sleazy cable film. The film that almost killed Paul... Well, did in my opinion, did kill Kazam. his film. Oh, that's the one that killed his film career. Yes. Yeah. That yeah. film is a fucking travesty of travesties. Terrible, man. All well, American Murders, the film. And who directed that? Oh, Anson Williams. Who? Oh, well, then that's why I made the mistake. I'd mix the two up because Anson Williams, of course, fucking uh, Happy Days, man. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, so, Chachi, right? Yeah, uh, No, uh, Potsy. Potsy, not Chachi. What am I talking about? Who's Chachi? Uh, Scott Bale. <laughs> hey, yeah, there we go. Yeah, who Joni loves. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, but uh, yeah, so Potsy and Starsky. There you go. <laughs> nice. And here I am going with Chachi. So who knows what the fuck we're talking about on this show? Ooh, man. I bet you. I wonder if Scott Bale ever directed anything. I'm going to check. Anyway, I don't know. Kazam would be a great silver and gold review. Oh, it would be. Actually, Kazam seems like it's tailor made for the feminine critique. It totally. 
Is. Or, or, or Married with Clickers, even. Yeah, or Show Show, even. Or Show Show, yeah. They did stuff uh, more often. They don't really do much nowadays, so. Yeah. Anyway, I'll pass it on to you, man. Let's hear you talk about and reminisce about uh, Running Man a little bit. Sure. This is one that we could have spent our whole length of our show talking about in the interest of time. We won't, but I think, you know, it's, um, it's something that's so prescient. It's something that, you know, you look at nowadays where we're at and it really, uh, it's right there. I mean, it really is the absurdity of what we consume as a culture and the, the callous kind of disregard for humanity in some ways with some of the shit people watch. It's unbelievable. Like my wife and I always talk about, you know, we see this on Facebook all the time and I, I find it appalling and I, I'm not trying to take the moral high ground or be like a, you know, a saint, you know, we all like callous things at times, but some of the videos that people post on Facebook that they, you know, people are consuming for entertainment, like people getting hurt, like, oh, the baby got lit on fire when he blew up the candles for the cake and yeah, yeah just bizarre stuff. It's like, motherfucker, like, it's just so tasteless. And, you know, you get that. It's kind of like this. I mean, you know, but uh, we should say this takes place in 2019 as well, which, as we all know, is after the fall of New York, yeah. which ironically, <laughs> recovering escape from New York. So, you know, uh, it's, it's, week's show. it's funny that that it takes place in 2019 because I almost feel like with reality TV, like we're not that far off. We're not that far off from, I mean, we are a long way off from full blown gory deaths on TV, I think. But I sometimes when I watch some reality TV or I catch a bit of it, I think to myself, you know, we're not too far away. At least we're not. We're at least we're not so far away that I don't feel like killing somebody at some point. Yeah. For making this and making it entertainment. Now, look, when re- when reality TV started, I watched it. I'm not gonna lie to you. Of I watched, course, I watched the uh, the Osbournes when it first came yeah, out. I watched the Osbournes. I watched Survivor for about the first five years. I watched. Uh, you know, I don't think I watched Big Brother. I didn't. I think once Big Brother never, hit, yeah. yeah, I think once Big Brother hit, I think I tuned out. Yeah, but I'm not gonna lie. I mean, you know, I watch some of that stuff too. But there's it, a novelty to it. Certainly. Yeah, it wore out its welcome for me very early. Now, for some people, it just keeps becoming more and more. Now, obviously, reality TV is not real, and we know that uh, it's not even close to reality. But I don't feel like this idea of a game show like this. I mean, they they, they say this is inspiration for American Gladiators. American Gladiators is very cheesy and very silly, but it yep. was it was kind of fun mm-hmm. in that kind of professional wrestling way. It totally was. That's exactly what it was. Sadly, though, I think nowadays our culture is so prone to extremes that if it is. somebody was to do this, like on a pay-per-view basis. There would be subscribers, man. Yeah, there would be people who would watch it. Which is terrible. And that's kind of what I was saying, you know, with like Facebook and stuff. I just this proliferation well, you have an of un- in, You have an unending amount of contestants with the American prison system alone. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, sad as that is to say, I could see, I, you know, I could see that happen. I, I hope it never does. But I could see yeah. it. I could see it happen. Oh, absolutely! Um, I, I told you when we spoke about this film. One thing that always stuck with me was when they frame Arnie. I always remember they called him the Butcher of Bakersfield, yeah. and just stuck uh, with me. I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, I love seeing the TriStar logo. It just brings back memories, man. Yeah, it's always great to see the TriStar logo. Yeah, we get some great Arnie yells in this. Yeah. Yeah, he's some great ones. <laughs> <laughs> and he gets. And I'll tell you what, man. Still a specimen in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his beard is a bit patchy. His beard game isn't the greatest. That's not. Yeah, that's not good beard game. I don't. I don't know if he's. I don't think he's ever. I don't think he's capable of growing a full beard. That's probably the one thing Arnie can't do. Yeah, because I've seen him with a beard a couple of times, and he never is very convincing with a beard. He's not. He was in this one, and there was another film he did. 
I can't remember which one it was, but there was another one where he does had he a favorite. Does he have one in Conan at all when he's a slave or anything like that? I don't think he does. I think when he raises his... No, he doesn't. When he raises his head up, he's got long hair but no beard. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You'd think that if anything... Oh, you know, at the end of Conan, they show him on the throne and he has the a big beard? gray beard. Yeah, he has a big gray beard. Big yeah, fake yeah I remember that shot. Um, you know, another thing I've realized Arnie likes to do in his films is show us how, how strong he is. There's the, the famous shot in Commando of him like, shirtless with the lo- like the tree on his shoulder and this he's like shirtless with a steel girder on his shoulder <laughs> yeah which is amazing um battle royale you know with the collars in this oh yeah right, which is cool man i'll tell you what the rubble this is gonna sound bizarre but if you watch this film the rubble is impressive there's a lot of rubble in this film yeah i wonder where they shot this i wonder if they shot it on a studio lot or what it feels like it was shot on like you know, like some, well, it feels like it was shot like an early 80s uh, Bronx, like uh, oh, yeah. like Night of the Juggler in some spots. But oh, yeah. I wonder if they shot it in like a gravel pit or, you know, something and dressed it up or something. It almost feels like some leftover uh, post-apocalyptic thing, right? It's true. It says here, filming, I'm going to look right now, filming locations. Looks like it was shot Sony Pictures Plaza, Culver City. It- Culver City, California, yeah. Yeah, so they must have just dressed up a big chunk of a studio lot. Yeah, I think I want to say some of it might have been shot in Mexico because the, the exterior shot of where they shoot the game show, mm-hmm. it looks to me to be like, I think it's called the Cineteca in Mexico. Well, they got the it, the locations they have on IMDb are the Belmont <laughs> Tunnel, which is Los Angeles, California. They shot it on the Paramount lot for the ice skating rink. And yeah. then Sony Pictures Plaza, Culver City, so... That's all they got on here, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's everything. This is IMDb, so that's just what people know, maybe. Yeah, right, right. Um, it's a bummer that Arnie, you know, Arnie loves cigars. It's a shame that him and Fred the Hammer never did a buddy cop film. Yeah, there's still time. Maybe there's still time. It'd be nice to have Fred the Hammer work with Arnie. I'd, yeah. still, I'd still pay to see that. I would pay to see that. Uh, the score in this is pretty good. It feels a little bit carpenter synthy at times. <laughs> yeah, who did the score? Was it uh, Faltimar? I want to say it was. I think it was Faltimar. I want to say it was. Yeah, a little Axel F or... Yeah. Dun, Mandarin dun. collars are alive and well in 2019. Yeah, yeah. Loaf would love 2019. He would certainly love it. Um, yeah, I Her- love... Harold Faltimar and Vassal Binford was a co-composer, but mostly it's Faltimar. Absolutely. Who wrote the closing credit song with... And uh, John Parr sung the... Yeah. The <laughs> That's right. Another another person that eighty seven tied to is John Parr. <laughs> uh, big time, man. <laughs> big time. Um, you know what I like in this, and we see them later on in Escape from New York in our next week's episode. I love the THX eleven thirty eight kind of style cops, like the faceless kind of. I like that with like the like the uh, visors over their faces and stuff. It just it's a good look. It you know yeah yeah looks good. Uh, I'd be curious to see the Carpenter version of this film. I mean, we're, we're too late for it now, but, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. It's funny. In some ways, Escape from New York, again, we're, we're recording back-to-back shows. Back to back. So, but, you know, watching uh, Escape from New York, uh, parts of it reminded me of Running Man in a weird way. It's true. No, it's true. <laughs> it's true. How about the hot licks for the dancers in this? Oh, yeah, those dancers choreographed by Paula Abdul. Paula Abdul, that's right, man. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Um, Sub Zero must have been huge in Canada. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, I could keep going on and on. I love the stuff on the commentary on corporate sponsorship, and 
Yeah, there's so much fun stuff. Like the villains we get that they have to go through the gauntlet. Like, you know, Sub-Zero is Professor Tanaka and he's hockey and exploding pucks and blades for hockey sticks. And, you know, it's uh, it's just great, man. Buzzsaw, Dynamo. I mean, there's just – it's such a colorful, colorful film. And Yeah. We should uh, say also we should mention Stephen D'Souza, the writer, because he became a pivotal part of the 80s. Um, yeah. Because he wrote uh, this. He wrote Commando. He wrote 48 Hours. Um, which I always thought was written by Walter Hill, but I guess so did I. I was, I, I, I'm sure Walter Hill had because he writes a lot of stuff. I'm sure he had a hand in there, but you know he worked on stuff like Knight Rider. He worked on V. He worked on um, uh, this, The Running Man. He worked on, uh, of course, he wrote the screenplay for Die Hard. Which, whether you like it, I know you don't really like it as much as I do, or most That's people still love it. Iconic, but yeah, yeah it's piv- it's a pivotal moment, right? That that was year after this, so <clears> action movies <throat> kind of changed the year after. But he wrote Ricochet, which some people don't like, but I, I do it's enjoy. Okay, it. I don't mind it, yeah. Oh, he wrote Knock Off. I didn't know that. Oh, nice. He did write Street Fighter, the movie, which so he's been on the show before and yeah. a few other things. But yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he's one of the few writers, it says on IMDb, whose films have earned over $2 billion. That's crazy to me. I mean, he under underappreciated, certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, his name, if you see it, chances are you've, you've seen it before. I mean, he's you written some big pictures. I, I could keep going. Uh, you know, I just, I think this film's more intelligent and more more um yeah it's it's a bizarre mix because it's a smart movie but, but it's also a dumb cartoon <laughs> yeah. it's a good blend yeah i feel like it's conscious in its pacing it's very very well paced and funny and absurd it's it, i think it's a really great genre film i mean it's yeah it's, it's underappreciated it's as far as, as its quality yeah it's as close to a few uh, a perfect futuristic uh action movie as there's ever been made it's as yeah. close to perfect as any of the, as any film I can think of in this little niche genre, because it's not apocalyptic, but it is sort of, you know, it's right there. It's right there. So it's about as perfect as it get. Okay, I'll get into the the make or break. Oh man, so so many scenes, so many great moments. Um, you know what? I, I'm gonna go with. Uh, it's a tough one. Yeah, that really is a tough one, isn't it, man? I, I'm trying to think because there's so many great. Well, first of all, it's almost like a slasher with the deaths. <laughs> oh, it is, man. Yeah. Um, I like the. You know what? I'm gonna go with the scene where he's in Maria Conchito Alonso's apartment. I know it seems. I like kind of, that scene a lot too, man. Yeah, I think that movie. That scene's kind of fun because fun. he's both menacing and a little stupid, and a little stupid. You know, <laughs> yeah. dude just got out of jail type. Yeah. You know, so I, I kind of like that scene. Didn't he think it was his brother's pad or something? Yeah, he thought it was his brother's pad. They kind post. of abandoned that whole brother thing, don't they? they I can't remember. Did they yeah. mention they ever call back no. to that? They they dropped it quick. They dropped it quick. That oh, was it. Did. My brother used to live here. Um <laughs> MVT for this one, as much as I could go with Arnie, because he's fantastic in this. Uh this movie has a great cast altogether, so I don't think it's all him. So and I don't think I'll ever get a chance to give this to him again. So because I don't think I gave it to him for Band of the Hand, but I think I gave I'll give it to Paul Michael Glazer. I think this is a great directed, well paced film, and as good as any film in this genre that's ever been made. So uh, bravo to Mr. Glazer for uh, making a piece of uh, cinema that is really is, is timeless in a lot of ways. Uh, my score is an eight point five out of ten. Love it. I've loved it since the first time I saw it, and love it to this day. Nice. This thing will be on repeat throughout my house. I've probably seen it, I don't know, hundreds of times with my brother and stuff, and we thought about watching it again just recently. So I'll probably be watching it again pretty soon. Yeah, it's it might might be the Arnie film I've seen the most. Might. Uh, oh. I think Predator's the one I've seen the most, but 
Yeah, Predator, this, and Commando are probably the three I've seen the most. Ooh, man, you just said Commando. Fuck. I think Commando I've seen the most. I've gone Commando the most. I'm going Commando right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's hear what your uh, make or breaks and whatnot. Um, I'm going to go with the same scene as you. For some reason, I really like it. It's not a flashy scene. It, it's not... Um, but amongst all the sort of macho stuff in the film, it gives us kind of a fun and a weird kind of Arnie make cute moment with a girl. Yeah. Uh, or meet cute. Uh, and it works and she's good and he's good in it too. He yeah, they have, they have great chemistry. They do have great chemistry. And uh, I li- I got to say, she's great. His his female lead in Total Recall is great, but Marie Cacino, I think, is a little bit better, a little more mm-hmm. likable. Um MVT, I'm going to go with the, <laughs> gosh. Yeah, no, it's tough, man. It's tough. You go with the source material. I guess I'm going to go with Glazer as well because I don't know if we're going to get to give it to him again. Um, yeah, I really don't know if I gave, I, I'm trying to remember who what we gave, who we gave in Band of the Hand. I don't have my notes. Maybe the days. look or something or uh, what's his name there? Uh, Indian, the, the uh, what's his name? Uh Oh, Stephen Lang, Stephen Lang, Stephen Lang, man. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure what we could have gave it to. Maybe that. No, you know, who we probably gave it to. We probably gave it to Michael Mann. Did we? Yeah, yeah we, we may have. have. Why did we give it to Michael Mann though? He because attacked? he was the producer on it, I think, and he yeah. had a lot of influence in the style. That whole, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm we guessing. may, have, we may have. I don't know. I, I think uh, I may have given it to Stephen Lang though, because he had that great Rambo headband and all that he shit. Did. So. Totally, did. I love uh, I love Stephen Lang. It's another guy that needs to work more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He needs Talk. to work more. Yeah, he he had a bit of a run there after uh, Avatar. He's in Avatar two, three, and four, so you get to see plenty of him and up until two thousand nineteen. See, there that I know the world's going to end in two thousand nineteen because Avatar Avatar four is coming out in two thousand nineteen. That's right. <laughs> and twenty nineteen isn't that? Uh, what was the, what's the year we made contact? I don't I don't know I don't know what year. 2010 2010 was the year we made contact. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 2001 was the Space Odyssey. Injured Joe and Banker and Band of Robbers. I don't think I've even seen that, but I'm looking at Stephen Lang. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, my score is uh, oh man, an eight point. I'm gonna say a point two five. Nice. It's a classic, man. Like I love this film. I I, I should go higher. I can't really find too much fault with it, to be honest. I mean, for what it is, I mean, it just nails it. It really does. It really it does. Nails it, man. Yeah, like so. I said, as close to perfect as this genre can be. Yeah, um, this kind of mix and uh, and be entertaining and everything, and, and infinitely watchable. Like if you if you come upon it, like if you were most people don't channel surf nowadays, but back in the day when I, we would channel surf more, if I came upon it, I would just always you know wherever it was, I would just watch from that point until the end. It seemed like so. you totally could. It's very well. Uh, for us, excuse me. It's pretty crazy, and it's testament to the quality of his films at the time that this is like on the outside looking in of his top five. Yep. And once we got our own VCR, we recorded this off HBO, man, and we fucking we we watched it so much the tape was just fucking ruined, oh, and yeah. uh, we had to record it again. But hey, you yeah, know, that's the way it goes. It All is. right, we're gonna take a short break, come back, and review two more films from Olive. Uh, we'll do The Quiet Gun and uh, Cooley High. So we'll be back right after these messages. No one would have believed in the first years of the 21st century that Hammer films were being watched from an entertainment standpoint. No one could have dreamed that Amicus films were being scrutinized as someone with a microscope studies creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. 
few men even considered the possibility that this area of film still had anything to offer. And yet, across the gulf of space, minds immeasurably superior to our own regarded this podcast with envious eyes. And slowly and surely, they drew their plans against it. The Hamacus Podcast. Hammer and Amicus, and every tenuous link in between. Hamacus.com and iTunes. Cheers. Coolie high over here. That's right. All right, so let's get into the other two olive releases we got. Uh, we'll do. Let's do the Quiet Gun first. We can just get into that one really quick. Uh, Quiet Gun, nineteen fifty-seven. This was a western that I saw Olive picked up. I had never seen it, which is kind of a shame in a way because I think my grandfather would have really liked this one. Uh, this is old school western, so we'll talk about it here a little bit. Uh, Hired Gun, Doug Sadler. Oh, I should say it's directed by William F. Claxton. Bill Claxton, thereby. A higher gun, Doug Sadler rides into a small western town and immediately provokes the local sheriff, Carl Brandon, does he ever, by tormenting a simple-minded local named Samson. Brandon is further provoked by a visit from city attorney Hardy, who announces that the town council is charging local rancher Ralph Carter with violations of immorality for living with an Indian girl. We'll leave it at that. Uh, you had never seen this. I had never seen this. Do you want to lead on this, or do you want to sure. lead on Okay, I'll let oh, you go yes, ahead. That's cool. One of the reasons, so, yeah. I should say one of the reasons why I picked it, like I said, first of all, I've never seen it, and uh, we don't do a whole lot of old school westerns. As a matter of fact, I don't think we've ever done any the old school westerns. Yeah, black hat, white hat was, was what we like to call them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, it had Lee Van Cleef in a role that I didn't know he did. And we don't do a lot of Forrest Tucker stuff, too. And Forrest Tucker's fun, uh, which we'll talk more about him. Again, we're going to do him back which to back shows. Which is strange. We've done, like, it's like Lee Van Cleef's just <laughs> rocketing up the charts this week. Yeah, and all of a sudden, Forrest Tucker's popping up all over the place. Forrest Tucker's, you know, <laughs> double deuce this. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, so, yeah, let's hear what you thought. I'm, I'm curious what you thought of this one. We haven't talked about this one at all. 
Yeah. Okay. Again, I hate to keep. Well, I don't want to. I don't say I hate to keep banging that drum, but I'm going to keep banging the drum. That testament to Olive's variety. I'd never heard of or seen this film. Kind of a classic title, The Quiet Gun. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that um, you know, of course, seeing a young Lee Van Cleef in a supporting role is interesting. Forrest Tucker's a you know an interesting actor who I haven't seen a ton by, but anytime I, I do see films. Uh, that he has, you know, he's in. He's he's quite good in them, certainly. And yeah, he's got a very nice. Uh, I, I say this quite a bit, but it's true. He really does seem like really comfortable in front of a camera. Yeah, he does. He's got a kind of warm human uh, mm-hmm. kind of feel. You know, he's quite good. Um, it's um, what does that even say? Still black and white. <laughs> mm, I don't know what that's supposed to say. Slaps on ears. Who's does someone slap someone on the ears? I don't remember. I don't remember. Yeah, I, I it's been like two two and a half weeks since I watched this, so I don't remember anybody slapping ears. But maybe they did. Yeah. Maybe they did it to Samson. They might have done it to Samson. <laughs> yeah, maybe they did. Maybe, maybe they did. The Samson, the, that actor, he uh, he worked uh, with uh, Clint Eastwood quite a bit. Hank Warden. Yeah, he looked familiar to me. I thought I would have seen him in. I thought I recognized him from something else. Oh yeah, but it you, was you, you, to be. Not who I thought it was, but I still recognize him. Uh, you've seen him in a ton of stuff. Yeah. You no, probably certainly. just don't know it. Every which way blues. Bron- I don't know if you've seen Bronco Billy's in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Smokey and the Bandit, he's in there for a little while. And- oh, so I've seen him in a number of things. Oh, uh, yeah. You've seen him in a ton of stuff. Yeah. But, well, but, uh, he, did, but he did a lot of Western stuff in uh, the 50s and 60s. But I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I don't know who I thought he was now. Searchers. I, I know where I remembered him from. The Searchers. Yeah. yeah he's in that. Yeah. Fuck. That's right. Worked with Hawks. I mean, he worked with some big, some uh, some big, big, big names. Yeah, like Royal Dano. He was a great Another Western guy. actor who kind of turned into later in his career, kind of a you know a character actor. Just uh, how, kind of popped up and stuff. And so, how about uh, he was on Twin Peaks late in his career? He was on fucking Knight Rider. But yeah, he's been in Red River, Ice Pirates, Runaway Train. I mean, they're talking about an actor that's been just about everything. Ice Pirates. I almost bought that this weekend. <laughs> I got to get it. I, I Last time I saw it was uh, was in theaters with my dad when I was about four years old. Yeah, it's got one of my favorite lines from the Robot Pit, the Robot Pimp when he says, Hey, blood, want to palm some titty? Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing, man. That's amazing. I got to see it. I, yeah, I haven't seen it since then. No, it's, so it's terribly good. That's what yeah. I'll say. That's my I'm review. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, Speaking of terribly good, man, we get to see a lot of Harry Lee Van Cleef chest this week. Oh yeah, man, Lee Van Cleef, what is what a stud! Yeah, big time, man. As we've always said on the show, I'm starting to think that Lee Van Cleef and the GGTMC are one and the same. It seems almost yeah. sometimes because every time he's on the show, he's always very GGTMC. Uh, and, and when I say is. that, I mean he's so fucking macho. <laughs> like he's, he is. He's never. Like there never seems to be a character he plays that has a weakness. No, I know he's like <laughs> Superman. <laughs> I know, but he, he's and he he's just so bizarre. It's just so bizarre to me. He's so you know he's so serious, you know, all the time. So he is. He totally is. And this is shot in uh, regal scope. We should say. Yeah. What is I that? What, I don't know what that means, but uh, every everything was some sort of scope back then. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Uh. I'll tell you, 1957, not that far removed from the Wild West. I feel like, you know what I like most about this film, to just put my cards on the table, is I think it deals with something that doesn't get dealt with enough in Westerns, and it openly confronts mm-hmm. yeah. uh, discrimination and yeah, corruption. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that, too. I, I didn't really expect like that. that. 
I did not expect that. I expected it to be even more straight and narrow than that. I was kind of surprised at that angle. Uh, and, you know, fr- frustrated. It really deals with uh, basically racism. And, it does. Uh, in this, they call it uh, morality. He has a lack of morality. Jim Davis, who played uh, the dad on Dallas, yeah. is the, uh, the man that is uh, married to the young Indian lady. She's beautiful. Oh, she is. She's gorgeous. Fuck, man. She's not really? an Indian, of course, but uh, that's, no. that's old school Hollywood. No, definitely. She's still alive, uh, too. She's a good looking girl. And speaking of beautiful, this film, great locale, shot in Colorado, I believe. Some great mountains, scenery, and just looks really good. Like, I got to say, I think this blue looks quite good. Oh, man, you ain't the only one. Yeah, you ain't the only one who thought that. Really good, man. Really good. And you know what? It helps. It enhances that. It's, it's a really well shot film. There's some really interesting variety in shots. Like, under the wagons and just some of the way it just really well shot film which uh again for the time you almost think of the same way you think of like ozu with a fixed camera you know 50s westerns you don't think ever going to dazzle with their cinematography but yeah I'll other say, than maybe some vistas and you know i'll say again good. what i've said before man it, it's so amazing to me that black and white films really transfer to blue so well clean crisp but i think also the era of filmmaking was such that lighting and gels and things like that weren't used enough so there isn't as much that's going to go soft with the camera yeah it's going to be yeah. a bit cleaner that's why i always like that early 60s when color first started coming into film like films like the swimmer you know they lend themselves well to uh, mm-hmm. blu-ray yeah 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 um tucker's great he's very stoic in this um <laughs> he is <laughs> you know he's good he does he gets to stretch his legs more in our other film more grizzled and whatnot but uh yeah in, in the other film he's more forrest tucker yeah, um, the kind of uh, guy that delivers the punchline. He's got some really great lines, and he has some great lines in the next one. We're going to talk about him. But he, in this, he is much more the sheriff. You know, Sheriff Carl Brandon is a very stand-up guy who wants to help his friend Jim uh, Jim Davis's character, Ralph Carpenter. And you know, there's some heartache there and stuff. But he does want to. He's he's a he's just a stand-up guy, and uh, I like. The stuff he has to deal with. But, you know, he's hardcore, yeah. too. Like, when he comes into that saloon later, he don't fuck around, you know? Yep. Like, he's going to, you know, if he has to clean house, he knows how to fucking clean house. Yeah, he does. And that's he what Tucker it. does well. Tucker is, I think what he does well in all the stuff I've ever seen him in is he can play happy-go-lucky and turn on a dime. Stop on a dime, yeah. absolutely. And be serious as a fucking heart attack. Yep. And uh, that's what made him a great Western actor and kind of a great tough guy actor in a lot of ways. And I think an actor that if he was around today, a lot of the directors that we like could have really used him well. Yeah. Because of his ability to shift. Yeah. He's got a great commanding voice, too. You know, he's not only got that screen presence, but he's got that really, you know, loud, deep voice. And, of course, infamously, we should say he is known to have had the biggest unit in Hollywood history. So Is he really? Well, there's a reason, I guess, that he had all that swagger. Yeah. yeah. The, the infamous, infamously, Zom knows more about this than I do, but supposedly, uh, yeah, it was it was uh, ridiculous. So, I don't know. I didn't know that, but it makes sense because he does have a certain swagger. <laughs> Up there with Quiet Milton confidence. Burrow, evidently. Yeah, Milton Burrow's got a baby arm. I've always heard that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Him, Forrest Tucker, uh, and John Ireland, and there's there's one other. Yeah, John Ireland had a hog for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want to go down a wormhole, go down a wormhole of YouTube Ooh, videos. Wormhole. Yeah, <laughs> go down a wormhole of YouTube videos of <laughs> gigantic dicks in Hollywood, and you'll see a lot of people put fan made videos together of bulges. <laughs> oh yeah, 
yeah. And Tucker, yeah, Tucker has one where he's playing a character uh, in uh, like the Middle Ages. Uh, not the Middle Ages, like like early Revolutionary times or whatever. And he's walking toward the camera, and I don't know what's in his pants. But man, hog <laughs> man, it's more than we. I can say with assurance, it's more than this coffee cup I got. Uh, this coffee thermos mug I got right here. <laughs> oh no doubt, man. No doubt, it's a like two Coleman yeah, fucking it's a, thermos. It's like a two liter in there. Yeah, no doubt, man. No doubt, but no, he's he's good in this. He's really good. Um, he feels a little bit kind of Rod Taylor in this. Yeah, old school macho. Yeah, which I like. Uh, you know what I I've found fascinating watching this is I like that I said that deals with the corruption and the racism, which are things that are you know sadly still very timely uh, the world over. But I, I I tried to you know think about how I admired that and how westerns for some reason tended to be a lot cleaner and almost quaint and naive compared to other genres at the time like. If you look at noir, even 20, 30 years before this film, yeah. I mean, those characters were getting into some sleazy shit. Yeah, yeah. I, I so, find that interesting, too. It seems like the Western hung on to... Stayed pure, kind of... Yeah, conservative values for quite a few times. Conservative, yeah, quaint, very much. Really, I think it was the Spaghetti Western that kind of changed that kind of attitude. It out, man. Not that there wasn't... there. I'm sure there was a handful here and there. Um, because you know the searchers deals with some pretty dark stuff, and oh, it totally does. And th- there, but, I mean, there are some, but yeah, it feels like the spaghetti changed it. Whereas noir seemed like it was already on the always gritty and scuzzy yeah. and stinky, and mm-hmm. you know, it just it, it dealt with the underbelly. I think a lot more than the western did. Western right. noble and reluctant heroes, but I think in that there's reluctant heroes in noirs, but they're reluctant to do anything good. It's very doggy dog and there's yep. not as much nobility. Yeah. But um, again, great shot in this when it shows the back of the sheriff during the draw. Yeah. <laughs> and there's some really good shots in this. I don't have a whole lot of notes. You know, it's a bit hard to take notes. It's a bit of a spare kind of A to B film, but it it's got some strong things going for it. I think even if you, you don't love old Westerns, I think there's definitely enough going for it between the performances, especially from our leads, the themes of race and corruption or racism and corruption, and the cinematography are enough, I think, to and a young Lee Van Cleef to kind of uh, make someone who's, you know, just a film fan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you like Lee Van Cleef, he's in here. A uh, very talky role for him. He's in talking quite a bit in this one. He talks quite a bit in Barkiro, too, which we'll talk about. But he's very talky in this. And if you like, of course, Forrest Tucker and Jim Davis is fine as well. Uh, he's not in it for, Well, I shouldn't say anything more than that, but... Um. Yeah, the director too, Claxton. He had to do. A, he didn't do a whole lot. I mean, well, he did a whole lot, but he didn't do a whole lot of films. He did a lot of television. Yeah, uh, yeah. television westerns, things like that. Uh, did a few films. I think I've seen Young Jesse James, and I know I've seen Young and Dangerous. Uh, I've seen Young and Dangerous, but it was the um, the Hong Kong series. Yeah, of films. Young and Dangerous was uh, has Mark Damon in it, who would go on to be uh, quite prevalent in. Uh, uh, spaghetti westerns and then become a Oscar winning producer. Oh wow! Uh, so uh, it's pretty great. Uh, he's had a pretty great career. He <laughs> went from spaghetti western star to winning Oscars. Uh, so how about that? Um, but that ne- I never seen this one. So uh, this was pretty cool. I got to say. I mean, it wasn't uh, to me. This is this is uh, the rainy day western. This is the yeah. you know this is I know it's a cliche, but this is the Sunday matinee. This is the you know, you're up early. Maybe you're up before everybody else in the house. You want some coffee and some breakfast. 
you know, this comes on. It's 77 minutes long. Oh, yeah, uh, nice and tight. It's really short. It's really simple. Guy rides into town. Shit gets stirred up. Shit gets resolved. That's that's the story right there. Yep. Um, and it's it's really kind of set up. There are some politics and there is some uh, racism type stuff going on here. So it does dig a little deeper than some of those Westerns, like Will said. So that is a nice touch. You know um, what it reminds me of in some ways? It's Bad Day at Black Rock. Yeah, yeah, in some ways. That that has that has a little bit more style, obviously. Bad Day definitely does yeah, have more going for in terms of style and execution. And it's got but that one's got more great moments from great actors. Whereas this one has great moments for Tucker, great moments for Van Cleef, and some good moments for Davis and a couple other actors and stuff. But really it's mostly the Tucker show. Well, that's the thing. I mean, fuck Black Rock has Spencer Tracy, Robert Ryan, Walter Brennan, Ernest Borg, and Lee Marvin. I mean, you got uh, it's sort of like you know, a team, a sports team that has one or two good players versus like, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but my, my grand, I don't, I don't know if my grandfather ever saw this, but this reminds me of the kind of Westerns he would watch and I would grow up watching. And, uh, you know, they're very simple. They're, you know, good versus evil. It was very simple stories. Oh, we should say that he did direct Night of the Lepus, Lepus, that Killer oh, yeah, Rabbit film. Lepus, yeah. Yeah, he did Killer He did the Killer Rabbit film. So I guess probably what he's probably most known for. Yeah. I just was scrolling through and I forgot that he did that, which I have seen that. <laughs> uh there's a great quote in here. I don't remember who said it because it's been a few weeks up, but I love the quote. Some of the guests, I think it might have been Van Cleef. He said, this could be a buzzard's day. Yeah. That's a great quote, man. That's like, a great quote. Like, I'm going to kill some fucking people today. So that, that's pretty great. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't really have a whole lot more to add either. I think this blue is worth owning, though, because, man, it looked it looked really good. I watched it, it, and I was like, man, this looks great. And... Um, if you like westerns, if you like uh, just kind of macho, uh, this isn't as macho as maybe late sixties, mid seventies westerns, but it's certainly pretty macho. Uh, I think it's worth owning. Yeah, man, it's 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 a good B western, good solid like, yeah, you know, B western. Not a, not a, you know, not a real cracker, so to speak. Not a, you know, it's like you'll and you'll see what my score, but certainly good for the, the for this genre. So let's go ahead and get it, make or breaks and stuff. Make or break. I want to go with the confrontation scene at the um, yeah <laughs> on the veranda. It's, it's They're sizing, crazy. sizing one another up a little bit. Yeah, it's really crazy. Um, That's mine as well, by the way. MVT. I'm going to go with the themes. I think the themes that we didn't see enough in westerns, and you know, uh, they, they. I think they're great. I they, they work well in the film. I think it's what separates it from being kind of just an A to B kind of uh, B western. Mm-hmm. Some of the themes I was going for, as well as the cinematography. Which I really loved. Uh, my score is a six point five out of yep, ten. Yeah, you know, like you said, I think you summed it up quite nicely, calling it a Sunday kind of afternoon or morning western. You know, you're sitting at home; it's a rainy day, and you you, you were gonna get outside and do the yard work, but you can't because it's fucking raining. So you you sit and watch this, have a cup of coffee, and yeah. it does the job. Good old horse opera, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, my make a break's the same as yours. Uh, my MVT. I'm gonna go with Tucker. I really liked him in this one. He's I kind of liked his. His stance, I liked his politics, you know, I liked what he stood for, his morality. Uh, oh, yeah. It's very, you know, it's very kind of stout, and I, I do like my leads to be a little bit more, you know, gray than he is. He's very white, yes, <laughs> so to speak. But he's also, you know, smart, smarter than the average bear. sheriff, it seems like. You know, yeah, the bear. Yeah, there you go. Um, my score is the same as yours, 6.5. Uh, again, like I said, perfect Western for a... A cloudy day or even just a, a breezy watch because it is like i said only 77 minutes long maybe am i am i right 77 it might be 71 i might i might be 
it's it's either way it's it's very reasonably yeah, yeah. It, it's really short i mean we i got i watched it first and i was like you know watching it and taking notes the next thing i know damn thing was over yep <laughs> i was like okay we got this done i know i thought the same thing so not a lot to say review wise but i think uh worth a watch worth a purchase watch, yeah. uh okay let's get into coolie high then uh coolie high from 1975 directed one by one michael schultz who has that confusing name we always talk about because he is an African-American director. Yes. Uh, with that last name of Schultz, it is interesting. Uh, in the yep. mid-60s, a group of high school friends who live on the near north side of Chicago enjoy life to the fullest, parties hanging out and meeting new friends. And uh, then, you know, life changes for two of them. So that that's all I'll get into for as far as the plot synopsis. Michael Schultz, who did direct uh, a few great films, really. Car Wash, uh, The Last Dragon, which we've talked about on the show. Oh yeah, uh, complete piece of cheese known as Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band with the BGS doing Beatles songs, which is bizarre. Which is funny because <laughs> to bring it back to the Quiet Gun, yeah. the actor that played Samson is in that. Yeah, yeah. but he also did uh, Crush Groove and Disorderly. I love. If you're a big Fat yeah. Boys fan, uh, <laughs> he Absolutely. just he did some bizarre films, but he did some good films too. Like I said, Grease Lightning, Car Wash. Uh, uh, he's uncredited on Bustin' Loose. I, I can't remember what happened there, but that was another Richard Pryor film. But uh, Cooley High may have put him on the map, I think. I, I, don't, I never saw Honey Baby, Honey Baby. He did some TV movies and stuff, but it seems like Cooley High really put him on the map. And Cooley High, even though it's considered quote-unquote exploitation, I think it's as far from exploitation as you could really get. It feels more like uh, just a nice uh, drama involving African-American. Uh, coming of age. Yeah. Maybe not nice is not the right word, but it's certainly a straight-up drama. It, I, there's really no, for me... There's really no exploitive elements in this, except maybe for some sexual stuff. But I mean, it, even then, it's not anything that teenagers want. I mean, I mean, Last Dragon is more exploitive than this. Come on. Yeah, couldn't we say that this is kind of like a '60s African American version? Well, this also, if I'm about to compare it to, it's kind of like the working class uh, African American version of Diner in some ways. Yeah, in some ways, yeah, yeah, because these kids aren't in a gang. No, uh, these kids have their whole lives in front of them, all that kind of stuff. These guys yeah. uh, have hopes. Uh, it's not. Yeah. You know, and then diners that way. Diners that way. It's young men, and then some shit goes sideways. Yeah, shit goes sideways, right? Uh, I guess I'll lead on this one. You want me to? Sure, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but Michael Schultz, I should say, also has directed a lot of TV, so he's he's still working. He, he works quite a bit. So, bravo to him. Um, okay, so we'll get into the cast a little bit. We get Glenn Turman back. Uh, mm-hmm, that's right. <laughs> there he is. There he is. The Glenn Turman impersonation. He's back. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> It's amazing. JD's revenge, man. Yeah, uh, Glenn Turman, such a entertaining actor and such a such a long career. I mean, up and you know, still working to Super Eight. He was in Super Eight, remember? He was good in Super Eight. Yeah. I wish he worked more again. Yeah, him and Judd Hirsch need to get together and do a film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd love to see that. It's a remake of Forty Eight Hours with Judd Hirsch and Glenn Turman. <laughs> <Be> amazing. <laughs> Can't wait to hear Judd Hirsch say, "What are you talking about, watermelon?" Yeah. Uh, Lawrence Hilton Jacobs, who uh, sadly in his career, unlike John Travolta, he didn't really excel past Cotter as much, but he now, is great. He is great. Yeah. Let's talk about him for a sec, because interestingly, I think he was a guy, he's kind of like um, like in high school or college, you know, an athlete who just seems like a can't miss. He's going to be a star. Oh, yeah. I thought he was going to be huge. Man, I'll tell you what. Again, Taxi, I mentioned Taxi. When I was homesick from school, and you and I have spoke about this this trifecta, I would watch Taxi, then Welcome Back, Cotter, and then Santa Barbara. Yeah. Now, 
Welcome Back Cotter I loved and Washington Lawrence Lincoln Jacobs was always my favorite on Welcome Back Cotter yeah Boom Boom Washington he's great yeah, Freddie boom, boom Boom Washington man yeah, hi there yeah hi there <laughs> that's right and uh, it's just a shame that between that show and Cooley High I should say Braden saw the end like the last 40 minutes of uh, Cooley High with me because I was awake and he woke up he was sick and um he calls he calls him Kochi. Yeah. Oh Kochi. Uh but uh, it just I was just baffled that he didn't uh he wasn't bigger. I mean, he, we ended up seeing him after Cotter. I mean, he just, you know, floated around for a few years and then uh was in some bad action movies for a some while. Some bad action movies and he did some great PM entertainment stuff. I know he's the heavy and I think uh, East LA Warriors, I think it is. That's what the one it is. Yeah, she plays Chazar. Yeah, so he's he's done a few things, but it's just peculiar that a guy with his kind of, you know, good looking enough. Yeah, he did a he did a trilogy. That's interesting. All three films came out in '89: L.A. Heat, Angels of the City, and L.A. Vice. He played Detective John Chance. Yeah, it's too bad, man. It's too bad because yeah, when you see this and you see fucking, uh, and he was in Roots. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, obviously he has charisma. And he has ability. It is interesting. I didn't know Joseph Marie did the LA, those uh, Detective John Chance films. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Nice. We ought to do that trilogy sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Some, right. some good and I didn't know there. this. <laughs> it looks like he was in a show that predates Cotter called Mr. T and Tina. Interesting. And he plays a character named Freddie Boom Boom Washington in it. Huh. That's interesting. Pat Marita's in it, too. Ooh. Ted Lang, fuck. Yeah, Cooley, Cooley High kind of put him on the map. I mean, he, of course, he played parts like, you know, Death Wish. He was Mugger in Park number two. <laughs> yeah, of course. And, uh, you know, The Gambler, he, which we haven't done on the show. We ought to do that at some point in time. I think that's the James Conlon. totally should. I've he's, never seen it, if you can believe it. Yeah, he's street basketball boy in that one. <laughs> yeah. But then Cooley High comes along. Coach Easy, he, uh, you know, he he kind of excels. And, and really, you know, even though he is in Roots, and a film called Youngblood, which I never saw, but I've heard some good things about. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad. Once he hits Welcome Back, Cotter, he becomes a star, and you think this guy's going to—I mean, you think he's going to skyrocket just like uh, Travolta did, because they both have kind of that same easygoing charm. They do. Vinny Barbarino and Freddie Boom Boom Washington, easily the stars of the show to me, outside of Gabe Kaplan. Now, yeah, you know, I liked Epstein, I like Horshack, but you know, they were kind of one note to me. They were a little bit. And Boom Boom, you know, he had he's a ladies' man. And, and uh, you know, Vinny Barberino's kind of that cute but stupid uh, character yes. that uh, John Travolta can play really well sometimes. Up your yeah. hose with a rubber nose. Uh, yeah. uh, I said that backwards. Sorry. You said it backwards. <laughs> and what was the thing you would do? For what? Yeah. For why? For when? <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> but anyway, whatever. This is not the Welcome Back Cotter show. We could probably do a whole podcast on Welcome Back Cotter. <laughs> it's a great show. It is. Um, all right, so this film, I uh, love the look of Chicago in this area era. I really uh, love it, yeah. I think it's, it's uh, Chicago's a city that's very cinematic, and we don't always get to see it. Uh, people are quick to go to New York when they talk about East Coast films, big cities, but Chicago looks good, man. Ooh, do we know that uh, Freddie Boom Boom Washington, Lawrence Jacobs, piece of trivia here, he sang background on Rick James' Super Freak. Oh, man, I didn't know. I was in some Rick James yesterday. <laughs> yeah. As you know, so as, that's As crazy. you know, yeah. Um. But yeah, this it looks great. Yeah, you know, about uh, six or seven years ago, I was in Chicago. I was in the north side of Chicago, and sadly, some of it doesn't look much different. It's kind of you know, in the north side of Chicago can be a little rough. South uh, side, south side. My bad. Yeah, not north side. Yeah, 
I, I can't. I don't know. It is getting late because now I'm getting north and south mixed up. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, Southside. I was there, and it kind of gets a little rough in spots. Comiskey Park, man. I don't want to fucking hang around Comiskey at night. Yeah, yeah, it can get a little rough. It can get a little seedy, but dicey. but you know, any big city, it can get a little. Any big city, it can get a little. You know, Toronto. yeah, except Toronto. <laughs> We're, we're walking around the streets of Toronto at four o'clock in the morning, and yeah, people are pouring maple syrup out, getting charged with yeah, crimes. People are walking around picking up trash because the garbage man missed it. You know, yeah, that's <laughs> that, right. That's Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you come to America and kids are dumping trash everywhere. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, one word of wisdom this film does give us more than any other is: don't feed the fucking gorillas, man. That's man. That's a bad move. <laughs> gorillas will throw some poo on you big time. <laughs> yeah, that's a bad move, man. I'd hate to go back to school with gorilla shit on my shirt. I don't even know what gorilla shit smells like, but it can't smell good. Man, it cannot smell good. I'll <laughs> tell you, you know who I think must? And I, I want to say, I want to give it up here to Olive again. The film looks good on blue. Yeah, I don't know that the film. I don't know if it could look. Yeah, I don't know if it could look better. much better. Yeah, It looks quite good. This is another film. I think it's, it's culturally important. I, I don't just mean from an African-American standpoint. I think it's culturally important to people to understand, you know, America, okay, for Americans to understand what African-Americans were going through at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's also important and influential film. And this is the kind of film, you know, I could see on like an Eclipse set or something like, that. you know, people like Spike Lee and John Singleton would go on to make films similar to this, slice of life stuff that... Yeah. Because a lot of times when you get black exploitation, you know, just to lump it in there, I mean, you know, it's not, but it was sensational kind of stuff, you know, stick it to the man kind of stuff, uh, you know, you know, super hustler, super pimp. But this was just four dudes or five dudes, six, seven, eight dudes that were growing up. Yeah. And it was coming of age. They just happened to be African-American and it was their experience at their time in their city. There was very little, if any, discussion of you know, the man, you know, whites, blacks, it's just these dudes living their lives. Yeah. And it's, it's an important film and kudos to all of, because you and I talked about how underrepresented, uh, black exploitation or African-American film was yeah. on Blu-ray yeah. and they've gone and put out hammer, Sheba baby, Foxy Brown, coffee, this, I mean, kudos to them, man. Yeah. I've always, I've always, uh, Cooley High was always interesting when I'd always remember friends of mine would say, Hey, you know, I, you see, so you're watching those black exploitation movies and they'd say, you know, Shaft, Superfly, uh, Cooley High. And I'm sitting there thinking, all right, these guys aren't really movie fans because Cooley High no. is the, is the odd man out. And it totally you is. You mentioned those three films. Cooley High has outside of the fact that one of the characters played by Stephen Williams in this is a pimp. Yeah. And outside of the fact there are some crime elements in the film, Superfly and Shaft have nothing in common with Cooley High in a lot of ways. They're, other than the only way you can lump them in is race. Yes. The only thing it's you can lump them in is race. The only way you can lump them in is a racial card. And it's it just, you know, it doesn't work. Which is because, weird if you think, right? Because what if they were like, and not to go too deep here, but if all those films were about white people, Shaft was a white cop. Let's say it was Dirty Harry, okay? Even though they're a little bit different. Let's just work with me here. So you got Dirty Harry. You got, um, what's a, is there a white, good white pimp film? I'm sure there has to be something. <laughs> okay, let's just, let's just, again. It's one of those moments in our show when I think to myself, hey, well, 20 years from now, what's it going to sound like when Will asked me, was there a good white pimp film? <laughs> let's just, let's just, this is not related at all, but let's just, for the sake of it, let's say Dirty Harry and Taxi Driver. Okay. 
and then let's say diner. Okay. Th- th- those don't lump together. No, 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 no. They're nothing alike. They're nothing alike, right? They're nothing alike. No. Even the moments of heavy drama have nothing in common in those three films. No, they don't. They don't. Anyway. So, so I mean, it's it just, it, but they, for some strange reason, they, they rope this one in. Maybe it's the marketing, especially it's especially seems to be the modern marketing because I know when they released it on DVD, you know, you got Lawrence Hilton Jacobs and Glenn Turman on the cover. The the way it's written and everything else, it just kind of looks like it could be an exploitation film. Of course, That's right. yeah, especially you know Sam uh, Arkoff is uh, involved in the production of it, so yeah. I mean, there's exploitation elements here certainly, but you know it's low budget. It was seven hundred fifty thousand dollars to make, which is still pretty oh, high oh. when you think about nineteen seventy five yeah. though. Uh, you know, you're approaching a million dollars. I mean, it's still a little bit of money. It is for, especially for a film that, you know, about African Americans at the time, yeah. right? Like this was a time when it was hard to get money to put anything but white faces on the screen. Yeah. And we're not going to give you sensational elements. We're just going to give you slice of life. Yeah. I and mean, that's, that's, that's good. Man. I mean, thing- it should have been more, but it's, yeah. It's- One of the things I like about the film is the writing is very tight and very well done because the characters feel like real characters. I mean, I've, they totally do. I've, I've hung around with, you know, I have quite a few African-American friends. Um, I grew up with, uh, a lot of African-American friends, you know, black friends as we call oh, them. Yeah, right. And this is the way the culture talks. I mean, this is the way they talk to each other. They, they, you know, and it's not the N word, every other word, like, you know, some of the other exploitation films, but it is, I mean, it's there. But it's yeah. not as prevalent, right? Uh, but it is the way they talk to each other. Yeah, with your mom, you know, stuff like that, you know. Well, the th- yeah, and not not just in terms of lingo as a culture, but I think, you know, they go to great lengths, Schultz and the writers go to great lengths to not put these actors or these, not even these actors, these characters on a pedestal and to, to saint them. Yeah. Because they're supposed to be just real young men, mm-hmm. which means they can be a bit shady they can be pigs. They're obsessed with sex. Yes. They're obsessed with sex. Having a good not time. To, not, they, to the, not to the point of zany sex comedy. Yeah. Although there's, there's, there are so few funny moments. But yeah. they drink alcohol even when they hate the taste of it because they think yeah, they need to. You know, smoke weed. And, you know, there's, yeah. a, there's a great uh, gator esque uh, <laughs> scene here with Glenn Turman. But <laughs> yeah, there is, yeah. <laughs> you know, but they're just, they, they do a great job and go to great lengths to not make these guys saints of the race. They're just. Everyday guys, yeah. every young guys that this this really could transcend. You know whether they're white or black doesn't matter. Yeah. It's, the, it's the young teenage man experience, yeah. teenage boy experience. What they what they are, you know, they're they're the young African American male without much parental supervision. You know the freedom they get out and they get out into the world. Uh, some critics have called this the Black American graffiti, which in some uh, ways yeah. it is, but it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. You know that, that that deals more with car culture and more the entitled culture, obviously, because you know those kids have cars and they have money and they're going to college or they're going to the Southern war. Southern California. It's a different yeah, thing altogether. Different, different feel, different vibe. But it does feel that way sometimes because these are young people trying to find themselves. I mean, obviously the four boys are the central focus and really two of the four are the main focus. Yeah. But there are young women in this too that are looking and trying to figure things out, you know, and they're losing their virginity. They're feeling pressured. Like uh, young boys do pressure young girls into having sex. And, and you know, I'm not going to say it's always that way, but most of the time it is that way. And, and it can go vice versa as well. Uh, you know, these are real life problems that these characters deal with. They're growing up in an impoverished part of town. Uh, the Cabrini Green housing project. Uh, Big. I mean, that was a bad project. It was. I think it's all tore down now, but uh, that was bad. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's just rough times. You know, you got teenage uh, pregnancy. You got drugs. Uh, you got crime. 
and you got good characters that grow up in this and that that makes it tough and that, that's really what this film's about it's about fighting through that or not being able to fight through that and you know white black or indifferent it doesn't really matter because at some point maybe you don't face these problems but everybody in their teenage years faces hurdles right we all face hurdles and uh, some get through it and become you know well-adjusted grown uh, mature adults but some never even get through it and then some get through it and are broken you know it's just, yeah it takes a piece of you right yeah it takes a piece of, i mean and, and even then i mean i've done well for myself but i mean i can still remember many moments that a piece of me's left back there i'm positive of that yeah um, oh no you're right on man it, it is a it is a film about the choices we make and the, the friends we decide to have because yeah. we do decide our friends. I mean, Absolutely. friends aren't given to you. You're born into this world. You're not born with friends. I, I, I think to myself sometimes, some of the friends I had, and some of the friends I had are in jail now. If I'd have stuck with those guys, yep. where would my life be now? If I'd have married you know, some of the girls I dated, where would my life be now? Yeah. So, you know, life is a series of choices. I know a lot of people feel like sometimes they don't have a choice, but it's not true. You do really have a choice, and you got to make those choices. And sometimes they're really tough. And that's really where I think people get mixed up is they say there's no choices, but sometimes making a choice is one of the bravest things you have to do. And some people don't have the the balls to make those choices sometimes. And it can be tough. It can be very difficult, especially when the choices are going against the grain. And especially when you're young and you're craving acceptance to go against the grain is, you know, can be social suicide. Yeah, that. Right? And, you know, you, you sometimes like some of the friends I broke it off with. I mean, it's like, it's like severing a brother, you know, I mean, like yep. somebody I grew up with, I spent 10 years of my life with, mm-hmm. and then they do something that just, you know, totally turns me off or totally freaks me out. And I just cut them out of my life. Yep. And, and that's no, not, that's not easy. I mean, that, that, that takes, that leaves a mark. It totally does, man. Yeah. So you, you always think of those people, but yeah, back to the film. A little, well, I mean, we're kind of talking about the film in a way, uh, yeah, the, inter- yeah. the interaction between the boys in the film, uh, the young men, I uh, should say. It is great. I always think Glenn Turman. It's funny, you know. He was young, but I always feel like he's a little older than the characters he plays for some reason. I don't know why that is. Yeah, maybe it's because he, he does look a little bit older. Yeah, but you know, I, I guess that's. He's kind of ageless too, though. Because you think about him and John dies at the end, and then in Super Eight and stuff. He, he's great, and John dies at the end. He is. He is. He's. He's easily the MVP. That he's so good in that movie. He's yeah, so overlooked. Uh, him in that film. Uh, you know, we, we should say this show. This movie did get re uh, kind of retooled as What's Happening, the TV show. That's right. Uh, which was a you know big part of my childhood growing up. I used to watch that in reruns, that in good times, and a lot of the black culture outside of oh, growing I up. Them, yeah. yeah, so outside of growing up with uh, African American boys and girls, um, a lot of the black culture I was exposed to was from you know good times and what's happening, and you know you you name it, those type of shows. Um, so you know, even though some of that's inaccurate, some of it was accurate. So, um, how about Garrett Morrison? I think he was in a good small performance. Yeah, he is. He's really good in it. Uh, evidently, he was a real te- he was a teacher in real life when he got cast in this. He was good. I would have liked to have seen more of his exchanges with the boys. I think we get a few. Yeah, there's a, you know, there's a few really nice scenes with them. But much like with Nolte and Machio, I feel like um, they could have had that pendulum swinging back and forth a bit more. And yeah, he's he's really good in the movie. He's always, you know, he, of course he's known for his uh, run on Saturday Night Live, right? But he. Yeah. He's always been good in most stuff he's been in. I've always liked yep. him. He's you know he's a character actor, but he's I've never seen anything in him where I thought, man, he's really shit in the bed. You know, I've never. It's true. He's made some shitty movies, but I've never seen anything in it where he's you know shit the bed. So it's chocolate chip Charlie, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's he's good. He is good in the film. I like the scene between him and the boys when about the homework and stuff and yeah, the way he kind of you know it's it's very much a Nick Nolte type like moment in uh, Teachers. 
Uh, very much similar. There's some similarities there. Uh, I won't go into too much more on the movie. I'll let you handle it. Uh, I'm not going to lie, man. I mean, it does. this film does get emotional at some point. It yeah. is weird, though. I got to say this. I got to get this off my chest because I know some people... It gets real. You heard me play the music on the break there. It's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday. And that's a great song, and it comes with a great moment, a great emotional moment that packs a lot of punch. The weird part about it for me in watching it this time was I had forgotten how quickly Terman's character kind of gets away from that. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like this moment of celebration and freedom. Yeah. It's not that it's weird because this bond has been severed, and from this is going to become. You know, he's going to go on because they do give you these what happens to these characters. Some of it's great. Some of it's tragic. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of little, you know, headlines at the end of the movie. It's it's weird to me. And it's just me. OK, I know it's a movie, but it's just me. And I don't know how you feel about this. It's weird to me how kind of quick that shift happens. I mean, it literally is have a drink, pour it out, <laughs> run to the bus. You know, life's going to move on. I don't know. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I don't know how much of that was. Yeah, just kind of um, odd, you know. Scheduling, kind of. Well, you know what it feels like to me. It just feels like to me, like Z- yeah, Arkov came in and said, "Look, we can't end the movie on a down note." <laughs> I yeah. mean, this is pretty heavy shit. You got to end the movie on some kind of hope. Yeah, it feels a little bit rushed to me, and because there's a lot of care given to other things, and that that just kind of comes out of nowhere. But I mean, he's almost you know. he's almost essentially running down the street and clicking his heels. That's what it almost feels like. It's very strange. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I would agree yeah. with that. But that's that's the I've only, always felt that. That's only one of the that's one of the few qualms I have with the movie. There are a few moments in it where I think the acting is a little little rough. Some of the humor yeah. is a bit kind of uh, it doesn't it, it's a bit cringeworthy like it. Yeah. It's swinging for it and it just doesn't quite connect. Yeah. So some of it doesn't work completely, but I do think this is a you know, a wonderful film. I just think it it, it has a few missteps. But yeah, that's all yeah. I got. Oh, I'd say that's fair. Yeah, this important film is one of the first uh, first films from the seventies with a black cast that I've seen. Uh, you know, I really dug it. I thought it was great. Uh, American International Picture, which is cool. Uh, Motown soundtrack. I mean, it, you know, fantastic. Speaking of great soundtracks, all of again. Yeah, yeah. I could have picked a lot of songs from this one, but because uh, it has a lot of pivotal songs on it, so yeah, big time. Man. But I picked the big. one. I picked the one that probably the film is most remembered for. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, it looks great. Uh, not like not not talking about the blue for a minute, but the film itself. It feels lived in, authentic. The restaurants, the back alleys, all of it seems to feel very real and authentic, which I like. Yeah, the the diner is amazing. It is it with the uh, when they're shooting dice in the back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that really feels like an old school diner with that kind of rundown room with the bathroom back there. Oh yeah, it does. I didn't talk I, about your uh, your female lead you like so much. I didn't man, talk I love Brenda. I've always loved Brenda. Brenda's gorgeous. Think, oh man, she's a good looking girl, and she's good looking in a way that's like the girl next door, Cynthia Davis. Yeah, it's she never amazing. Did much. She didn't do anything out of this, and that's amazing yeah, to me. It's, it's she's really good in the film. She brings kind of like a a classy kind of dignity because you know Terman's a guy, man. He's a bit of a pig, and. You know he's human. He's he's he fucking shoots himself in the foot and <laughs> yeah, he shoots her in the foot in the process and shoots some dice. Shoots yeah, and uh, it's too bad. You know she didn't do more because I really liked her in the film. Man, I agree with you. Good, she's a good, good looking girl, clean, kind of fresh face. Yeah, she's gorgeous, and it's Fuck, amazing man. that she didn't at least get cast. As you know, even even as sad as this is, it's amazing she didn't get cast like in more 
of those late seventies black exploitation films is like yes, you know an American films. like the chick or something like that, you know? Yeah. Maybe she, she just good. got a bad taste of the movie business and said, Fuck this. Yeah, maybe she ended up, you know, university and and just did her thing and then had a family and settled down, right? Kinda like uh the Brenda character, like they say at the yeah. end, what happens to her. Well, but she got movie star know, looks and then it's amazing to me she only man. did one film. You know, she does. Like I've I've always been kind of enchanted by her. Um but uh yeah, um you know, it feels authentic. Yeah, I think a lot of the stuff too really rings true. Like they don't sugarcoat anything, but it, it it's a fine line sometimes between nostalgia and or looking back at something fondly and being blind with nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. And I think this this walks it the right way. It it looks back fondly, warts and all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, like and just some of the stuff that I thought rings true, like when you and a buddy go out with a couple girls and you got to be the wingman and you get stuck with a girl that's just fucking so uninterested yeah. and your buddy's just getting some and you're just like, oh man. This is the worst. <laughs> this is the worst. Yeah. yeah. Any guy any guy that hasn't been there, well, congratulations because it's awful. Yeah, uh, it is. But it's, I, it's... I have been the wingman or the third wheel or whatever oh. you want to call it several times and it's a it's a bad night. This is a bad night. So. <laughs> yeah, it is. It does turn out to be a bad night. Um and vice versa. I know girls that went through that too. We should say that. There's girls yeah, that stuck in the They tag along and it's yeah, from their perspective, it's like I had to tag along and talk to this fool. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um man, yeah, I just put it was a bad move to give Glenn the fucking car. <laughs> bad move. Yeah, he cannot drive that car. It's awful. And then I like the whole whiplash, whiplash yeah. from the couple when they get hit. And yeah. that's kind of funny. Um what have we got here? Oh, I'll tell you a funny, a little funny story. The, <laughs> Glenn Turman and, and Lawrence Hilton Jacobs decided they're going to have this genius plan. Kind of like a few years evolved from the Sammy briefcase. <laughs> and they're going to pretend that they're cops shaking down prostitutes. <laughs> and my dad, when he was like in his early 20s, he would go around in like a nice car. And him and his buddy would pretend that they were like, pretend they were like TV producers, like scouting agents, so it's, you know, scouting talent. And yeah. they they worked that line quite a few times, apparently. To, nice, nice. It's amazing. Youth is uh, such an amazing thing because you just think you're so bright. You do, and you look at it and it's so stupid. Like they even card him because like they try to pass off this ridiculous like toy police badge. <laughs> You know, the things are never quite thought out. They're thought out step A and B, but they forget C, D, E, F, G. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Godzilla makes an appearance. Oh, yeah. One thing we don't get anymore, and I kind of miss, you know, these scenes in the films, the kind of bickering between uh, siblings is the whole fighting for the phone thing. It's for me. It's for me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the one phone in the house. Yeah. That was a big, you know, siblings. That's a, a big deal. You know, like for me, it was okay until my brother started dating too, right? And then when he... When he started dating girls and I started, and when I was dating girls, then it became a, hey, you got a phone, it's my turn. Man, yeah, I remember running up the phone lines. Yeah. yeah. I mean, everybody did. gets on, yeah. it's like, it's, get to bed. You know, it's, uh, yeah, good old days, man. Good old days. Um, I feel like one of the minor quibbles I have is we get so much kind of, um, kind of, you know, the boys running around, but I think that kind of ties in with, with the energy of youth, but I would have liked to have seen more quiet, reflective moments with some of the boys. 
Yeah. Because we see that, yeah. you know, Terman, you know, he's into art and poetry and stuff. And I don't really feel you like, I, you know, with Terman, it's interesting. I, I don't really feel like you see enough of his his family life. We know we know about him and his mom, I think. I think we see a little bit, yeah. Uh, we see more of Jacob's kind of turmoil life. I think his brother's the pimp, right? And yeah, and his he's got mom, the little brother at home. He's got the little brother at home, and he's digging in the toilet for his uh, mail and all that shit. Yeah, his, his uh, scholarship letter. But the, so we see more of Jacob's stuff, which I think, I think emotionally we're tied to the Jacob's character more than we are the term. Well, at least I was. I like the Terman character quite a bit, but I felt more emotionally connected to that Jacobs character. And I think part of it is because Terman is a bit more of a shit heel. Yeah. You expect on the surface to see him and he's into poetry and art and think he's going to be like the sweet tender guy. Mm -hmm. But they play against type and the athlete yeah. in this. Yeah, and they're both trying to get out, right? But yeah, you're right. Yeah. The athlete is actually the man with the a bit of a heart of gold, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Terman's a shit heel, man. Like he cannot. Like, dude should have been thankful he had Brenda. He's a cool He fucking right? shot yeah. that. Like, just like, dude, shut up. Yeah, he just. You say t like, <laughs> he's a pussy you know. hound. You know, pussy hounds like him. You know, and yeah, he's just an it's ass wipe. That's the best word I could use for him. It's true. Um, you know, great ending, great shot. Uh, you know, I don't want to say too much. Interestingly, Barry Devorsen was involved in in the a lot of the non-Motown music, oh, which yeah. is cool. Um, and yeah, like I said, I feel like Spike Lee and John Singleton are, you know, indebted to this film, certainly, and they would be forthright in saying that. Well, they made, well, Spike Lee kind of made a, didn't he make, uh, wasn't School Days kind of a homage in a way to some ways to Cool Yeah? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of his films are, you know, even something that has, deals with the family dynamic, more like Crooklyn, which I think is a terribly underappreciated film. Yeah. It's a good-looking film, man. You know, it's a good-looking film. You know, Delroy Lindo, another actor who sadly doesn't, as we've often talked about. Yeah, it's true. Should do more work. He's great as a dad. And it, it's a really solid, solid film that looks, again, at youth from an even younger age and the loss of innocence uh, yeah. through African-American eyes. And it's, it's good stuff. Yeah. I was looking to see who the cinematographer was in this. Paul Von Brock, who didn't really do a whole lot. He did a lot of camera operation on a lot of films. Um, but he didn't really do, uh, you know, cinematographer wise, he didn't do much. Just this and If You Love Me is only cinematic films. Everything oh, wow. else is TV. That's but he, crazy. I mean, he operated on some great films uh, Wildcats, Live Day. Well, I mean, God, you know, great to me. Dr. Detroit, The Toy, <laughs> Cat yeah, People. Yeah, nice. That's like Paul Schrader. He worked with Paul Schrader a few times because he did The Cat People and he did uh, Light of Day. So, Oh, wow. Oh, he did uh, My Bodyguard. He was camera operator on that. So we, we've talked mm. about that before. And White Lightning, of course. Um, okay. Well, so I guess you, is that all you got? Yeah. I mean, in the interest of time. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, four film show. Uh, pretty awesome. Uh, my make or break. Uh, well, I mean, it, it's really hard for me, but I think, you know, uh, well, not hard, but there are a lot of great moments in this, but I think I really do think, I think the pivotal scene is toward the back end. <coughs> I think it works the best. I think Terman puts in a great performance uh, in that in those last moments. I think it's a little misguided and strange what happens eventually, but I do think yeah. that his monologue is uh, pretty great and shows again how good an actor Glenn Terman is. Yeah, he's good, man. I wish he again. Yeah. I wish he had worked more. Yeah. Um, my MVT. I'm going to give this to Michael Schultz. Uh, because there's somebody else, there's something else I like in Car Wash more. So, so, but I, but I, I think this is a great film. I think you know it's it's an American classic. I really do. I think it's uh, 
as time's gone on, it's gotten the appreciation it kind of deserves for most people. Uh, most people say, hey, you know, have you seen Cooley High? Cooley High is great. I mean, I've never heard anybody say anything bad about Cooley High that has seen it. So I think it's a bit of a, an American classic, really. One of the you know one of the stronger films of the 70s. That it's gotten kind of roped into a genre that I don't think it kind of deserves to be in. Probably at no fault of its own, but, you know, like MGM put out those Soul Cinema discs and... You know they kind of yep. they kind of they lumped this, it in there, right? Yeah, they lumped it all in there and stuff. And I mean, this isn't Foxy Brown. This isn't uh, you know, it's not even Friday Foster for Christ's sake. It's it's no. not even close to those kind of films. But you know, I guess you play to your market and stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I think that Schultz put together a pretty great film here. Uh, although I think no, I didn't give it to him in uh, Last Dragon. I think I gave it to uh, Julius Carey. Julius Carey because <laughs> that is a performance for the ages. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> my score for this uh, eight point two five out of ten. I think it's a wonderful nice. film. I do think it does have a few lulls in it. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. And it gets a little slowed down sometimes with some of the character stuff. And I, I do get a little. I mean, the, the amount of time they try to spend getting laid uh, is fine, but it after a while it's not even funny anymore. It gets no, to be exactly. desperate, and it kind of I start to feel sorry for the girls. Yeah, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. And uh, I kind of wish they would move on, and they they kind of hang around a little too long, so that really lulls it down sometimes. And a few other moments, and some of the other characters in the film, they're half interesting, but they're a bit more caricatures. And I don't really yeah, some of them are a little bit care for that. I would, but I mean, I to wish, me, it's a masterpiece in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's it's a very good look at that, and I, I wish that it would have been interesting to do, too to see the film kind of the flip side of the coin was half the film was dedicated to Brendan, a couple friends and half to the guys. But then again, you end up not having enough of either. And when you do something like that, right? Right. Right. All right. What do you, what do you got? How's yours? Yours there, buddy. I'm getting tired mm. over here on this end there, bye. Yeah, at least I got a long way to go. Um, uh, make or break. I'm going to go with, uh, I guess. Mm. Um, I'm gonna go to see with Garrett Morris uh, and them. Ah, uh, uh, it's a good scene, yeah. Yeah, really good scene. I really like that. Uh, that, you know. that first time that uh, Jacobs and Terman are in Terman's bedroom too is great. It is really good, really good. Uh, MVT. I am going to go with. I think the notion to to have a slice of life, of African American life in the '60s, at a time when the only other time you know. We had sadly, you know, black faces on screen were in films that we but we love, mm. but you know, I mean, there needs to be a balance in terms of content, and you know, it can't all be, you know, urban superheroes. I mean, there's got to be a, an equal representation of a quieter and tender side of a, of a culture uh, represented in our art, uh, consumed by the masses, because I think. Art goes a long way towards helping us understand um, and and to humanize uh, cultures that maybe people aren't as familiar with, as crazy as that sounds. But in, at the time, there was a bit of a divide, certainly, and a lot of fresh wounds still. And, you know, you look at something, as much as I've said behind the scenes, my wife's watching this Orange is a New Black, and I could really care less. I mean, bravo to the show, because it's predominantly Latino or Latina, like Hispanic. Yeah black you have a transgendered uh, actress uh, on the show yeah. a lot of lesbian you know lesbian relationships that are dealt with not as sort of will and grace gimmicky ridiculous or chained but, or chained heat even <laughs> or chained yeah <laughs> but they're dealt with in a way that's just kind of it is what it is and again 
the show's cultural importance and understanding and moving people closer together, I think, is important more yeah. than yeah, yeah. more than I like the show. Right, correct. It, yeah. You know. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's stuff that comes. I mean, as far as we've come as a culture, human, uh, the human race, yeah. when it comes to our entertainment, we still got a long way to go. Because Much really, the only the only true African American films that are really being made nowadays, it's either a comedy with the the hot African American comic of the time, yeah, uh, or it's you know it's a Tyler Perry joint. Uh, even Spike Lee has gotten so far removed from what he was doing. Not not that he has. But he's gotten so far removed from box office or being able to do what he wants to do. He still does it. I mean, he made a vampire film recently, but I mean, it just did it, he really? Yeah, that 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 sweet blood of Jesus. That film. Oh, that's, that's a vampire film. I didn't know. Yeah, that. it's vampire. A little bit of vampirism in there. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, I mean, I just don't feel like I feel like the '70s was a golden time for black cinema, and this is what it was a golden time for all cinema. And maybe that's why it was a golden time for cinema, because even though some of the stuff wasn't, you know, politically correct, there was a lot of empowerment in black exploitation cinema that I don't really feel like is there now. It feels like to me that there's a lot of gentrification in in black cinema now. I agree 100 percent. I lament that because I think it's important for us to understand other cultures through art, through art for people that aren't as able or are reluctant, at least through art, if you can understand that it, it creates a bridge and... Yeah, we don't get that same diversity, and you're right. The gentrification is. is I lament that. Um, well, I mean, yeah. it's another thing that big blockbusters kill. Big blockbusters are going to kill the small, independent dra- spirit. Yeah, the small independent spirit and the small independent drama. It's going to kill it. I mean, you're not going to get. Uh, and not only that, I mean, look at look at the Avengers. I don't really remember anybody in there that's any other color other than green, as a minority. Yeah, I mean, with well, Captain America, I you get a little bit Falcon, of Falcon. Yeah, Falcon. But, I guess so. But I mean, yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying that that has to be the case. I mean, that's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is that it's 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 kind of if you sit back and look at it, it's it's very interesting that it hasn't really changed at all. It, I mean, no. if anything, it's and gotten worse. It's and I do lament that, and I, I I think it's an important thing. Not to, we could spend a whole episode just talking about this, but I always like to try to put myself now, especially I think when I look at you know people that do shitty things, and I think. You know, if they stopped and they just thought for a moment that the thing they're railing against or protesting against, what if that was their child? Yeah. So let's pretend you and I are African-American for a moment. What heroes does our child have on screen right now? <laughs> Denzel Washington. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it's, you know, or what if I'm if I'm uh, of Mexican descent. I uh, just you, you feel don't, like you don't have shit if you're of Mexican descent. And that's one of the reasons why I, I, I still applaud Robert Rodriguez because he's still, he's still pushing Mexican culture, regardless if it's not is. it's not all quality. But he's putting Danny Trejo in an action movie. Yeah, and, and the kids are Hispanic in the yeah. Shark Boy and Lava Girl, yeah. and you know, at least I think they are, if memory serves. And I, I just think it, you know, Desperado. You know, that was a you know a yeah. lot of a, a Mexican, Mexican hero. culture, yeah. right? Mexican hero, Mexican heroine, mm-hmm. right? Salma Hayek. I mean. It's important that we have diversity on screen to reflect accurately. And Asians are sorely underrepresented. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in American represent. cinema, surely, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, we could get into a whole other world when you talk about the other countries, but that's a different thing. And what we're talking about is, you know, we're talking about the 
biggest producer of big films in the world, America. And then the exports around the world, yeah. right? Yeah, and even the exports around the world. I mean, yeah, you just don't... I mean, I guess, it, you know, I didn't mean for this to get so political, but I guess if anything, what we have progressed at is that, you know, an African-American actor opens movies big now. You know, you got Which your... Which is good. But you got your Denzels and, you know, Will Smith and stuff like that. But even then, as, as much as it pains me to say that, to say this... Those are very safe choices. Yeah, they are. But then again, that's unfortunately the masses yes. consume mm-hmm. safe yes. because whether it's white, black, uh, red, brown, whatever, right. yeah. it's always safe. Yeah, we've come away. But then again, you know, Sidney Poitier was was winning Oscars fifty years ago, wasn't he? I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, and again, he he was safe too for a long time too. So well, he was safe. Yeah. But you know, the point is, yeah, you know, unfortunately they have to feel like it's a safe choice and even more so when it's a, it's a race. But, um, but in 50 years, we haven't come as far as we certainly should have. And I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's sad, yeah. but, it, and, and it, it's a, but you bring up a great point and I, I don't know to keep banging on this cause we're running so long, but where, where are the, where's the next generation of John Singleton's and, and uh, Spike Lee's, I mean, Ava DuVernay, brilliant, you know, good on her. I mean, she, you know, I posted a great article about, uh, she had she had talked about um, you know without asking for permission of filming and stuff. You know uh, she's got two strikes against her in the in the old boy's eyes. You know she's African American and she it's, it's she's a she she's a female. Yeah. You know so it, we just haven't come far enough. And yeah. you know the fact that we're still talking about the the lack of female filmmakers. It's like how is this how is this still happening? But you know all we can do is we can support film by minorities and we can support film by you know, female directors and. Hopefully bring about change. Yeah, hopefully. You know, I, I think it will eventually come, you know, if the end of the world doesn't come first. But I think it eventually will come that we'll accept it more. I mean, we have made strides, but, I mean, we still strides, got a long way yeah. to go. No, we have. And that one, Dope, looks interesting, that film Dope. Yeah. That came out. I, 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 I just, you know, I just lament the fact, you know, that the 70s were such a golden era for black cinema. Diversity and, in character. Like, even yeah. something like that one that made-for-TV movie I watched with... Um, with Kevin Hooks, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember you talking about that. The young boy, you know, get the, finds the kitten. You know, you don't see things like that anymore. It's, yeah. it's, it's well, it's again, not, they don't. They just don't really make low budget films anymore either. Like this, they just no. don't. Low budget's a hundred million. Yeah, and that, and it's interesting because even when you talk about black cinema of the seventies, not all of it was made by black people. It was made by white people as well. A lot of so. Jewish filmmakers, you know, yeah. had their finger on the pulse. Jonathan uh, Kaplan made some. Larry Cohen, Jonathan Kaplan. Yeah. You know, these guys, they worked hand in hand. And right? there never was that sense of, you know, detriment. They were never being detrimental to the race. No. They were celebrating what these films were about as well. Jack so, Hill. Yeah. You, you know. never you never had that sense that it was a white dude, you know, kind of mocking another race behind the camera. You never No, had- you, you got a few lazy cash-ins inevitably, much like you do with any fad, but, yeah. but the core of them, no, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, let's get into your. Uh, what are you? Did you give your score? Did you give your stuff? I did not. My oh. score is an eight point two. Uh, no, sorry, an eight. You somebody did you say an eight point two five? I said eight point two five. Yeah, I'm gonna say an eight. Okay, nice. Does seg a few spots, you know, some of it misses, but I think it's an important film. Right, yeah. it's an yeah, important it film, and, it, and it's entertaining enough. Certainly, coming of age, it's 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 an honest, important film, which I, I like. I agree. All right, that is the big show. Four films from Olive. We want to thank Olive Films for uh, sending the copies of these and uh, checking them out. They're all worth owning, if you ask me. Um, 
Yes. Uh, definitely. Got, uh, yeah, some standouts in there, though. Definitely the running man, Cooley High. Um, I would say teachers, if you're into that kind of thing. If you're hot and, for teacher. And quiet man, if you're into that kind of thing. But I think definitely Cooley High and the running man are definitely must buys for uh, genre friends. They totally are. Um, okay. Uh, that's a big show. Uh, we'll be back soon with uh, coverage of the Diabolic DVDs. Uh, we got that coming up. Uh, it was my turn to select, so we're going to do some uh, some more Van Cleef. <laughs> uh, right. We're actually going to do John Carpenter's Escape from New York, finally. I was kind of hoping to always do that as a double deuce with Escape from L.A. because it's got its oh, own yeah. charms in some ways. But we'll get to that at some point, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, we're going to be doing Escape from New York, and we're going to be doing Barkiro, which is... Uh, the barge man the we're going to be doing uh that's lee van cleef warren oates and forrest tucker again so yeah little kerwin matthews in there as well sinbad himself another that's sinbad right. that's uh, right <laughs> that's right <laughs> that's right <laughs> um but yeah that's next week or whenever you hear it it'll be sometime uh well that's all i got to say that's it uh, again thank olive we did that so <laughs> i'm mumbling at this point uh we'll say adios adios Take you in my arms and hold you to the dream